BBC Three Counties Radio, lots to cover this morning, including... As you've heard, two unarmed policewomen were killed yesterday in Greater Manchester. Should all our police be armed? Football clubs, big and small, need to do more to stamp out racism. We'll be talking about this later on. And newsreader and television personality Fiona Bruce has come out and admitted that, yes, she dyes her hair. Shouldn't we all just grow old gracefully? BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, now, the main story this morning, of course, is uh, the story about these two policewomen that were shot yesterday. The Chief Constable of Greater Manchester Police described yesterday as one of the darkest days in the force's history after two female officers died after they were injured in a gun and grenade attack in Thameside. Uh, PC Fiona Bone and PC Nicola Hughes were responding to what they thought was a burglary. Shortly afterwards, a 29-year-old man who'd been the subject of a four-month-long manhunt handed himself into police. Well, Chair of the Police Authority in Bedfordshire is Peter Conniff. He joins me on the line now. Good morning, Peter. Good morning, Ian. Uh, terribly sad day for the police service, isn't it? It's a horrendously bad day for the police service. It always is when an officer loses their life. Um, these two young women went about their normal job. They got called out to what seemed a fairly innocuous incident. Um, and unfortunately, as we know, they both lost their lives. What are your thoughts, Peter, when you hear something like this? My thoughts are always very sad, because if you remember a few years back, we had one of our own police officers, PC John Henry, killed in Luton. Um, he went out to what seems a fairly innocuous incident. He went on shift at 7 o'clock in the morning, and by 20 past 7, he'd lost his life. So these things always shock the whole of the police world. I know that Manchester is a huge force, much bigger than Bedfordshire, but everybody connected with Manchester police, and in fact other police forces, will be feeling, as I am this morning, extremely sad that these two young police officers lost their lives. You mentioned PC John Henry from 2007, which you know, everybody, I think, in the area remembers. How does a police service overcome the loss of one of their own officers? It's extremely hard. I was, um, I was uh, chair of the authority when that happened, and I went to John's funeral, but I also, as importantly, visited the people that he worked with um, the day after the incident and those people were very traumatised indeed and indeed some are still those very close to John John was a very popular police officer but that's by and by everybody that worked with him was very traumatised it affected them badly several had to have time off um, sick leave because they were so upset by it but it ran through the whole of the force not just those mm. close to John I didn't actually know John personally but everybody connected with I don't want to particularly go into the specifics of what's happened in Manchester. Obviously, it's an ongoing investigation, but it would appear that the, the, the two police officers, the, the female police officers, w were there on their own. Is that usual practice, to send two female police officers out together? Oh, yes. I mean, that happens frequently. This appeared on the face of it to be a perfectly ordinary report, of which there'd be hundreds throughout the day, throughout the country, of a suspected burglary at a particular house. They would have been on duty on patrol. They would have gone in their main car and clearly weren't expecting anything such as this. They weren't armed. Um, um, you wouldn't normally send armed mm. officers to an incident that is apparently a household burglary. They were lured into something 
Where do you sa- stand, Peter, on, on routinely arming uh, members of the police force? My own personal view, and it's one that I have to say is shared by the majority of police officers throughout the country, they do not want to be routinely armed. The important thing about policing is you work within the community, you work with the community. That would be very much harder to do, in my view, if police officers are going around with firearms and attaching to them. We have an excellent firearms unit in Bedfordshire, as indeed we do in Cambridgeshire and Hertfordshire, and if there was any problem about there being a firearms incident, then those officers would be deployed. In an incident such as this, there was no no inkling at all that this was going to be anything other than a routine inquiry about a suspected burglary. Peter, hopefully we can talk again on, on slightly happy news at some point in the future. Well, thanks very so. much. I hope so, Ian. Thanks. Bye-bye Thank you. Now. There we go. It's Peter Conniff, who is the chair of the Police Authority in Bedfordshire. Uh, commenting on the story of uh, PC Fiona Bone and PC Nicola Hughes, who were uh, killed yesterday, attending what they thought was just an ordinary burglary. Now, listen, I know uh, <clears throat> the police quite often get a bad rap. They don't always do everything right. They don't always do everything right at all. Of course they don't. But they do, you know, kind of put their lives on the line for us, don't they? And I think that this just brings home just how uh, precarious their position is. And then when you start reading the stories about these, these, um, these two women, and one of them had, had, had just sent out her wedding invitations, suddenly it becomes a bit more human, doesn't it? It's not just a, a, a faceless person in a uniform. Uh, it's actually a human being who had a life. And, um, you know, it's very sad. We'll be talking about it a, a bit more later on, but I guess the obvious question to come off the back of this, and it's a simple one, should the police be routinely armed? Peter, interesting that Peter there, the chair of the police authority in Bedfordshire, saying no, that he doesn't think so, and a lot of the police don't think so either. I was a little bit surprised by that. What do you think? You can text me, 81333, start your text 3CR. And I don't want to talk specifically about this, this, this case that's happened in Greater Manchester, although obviously, you know, this, this question comes from that. Do you think the police should be armed? 08459 455 555. Let us know your point of view. Be interesting to have a chat about it. You can email as well. 3cr at bbc.co.uk. Speak to you after this, the Jacksons. Good morning, this is Ian Lee. It's BBC Three Counties Radio. Lots and lots to talk about. Some of it light, some of it not so light. And uh, we'll look at the front pages uh, a little bit later on. But they're all focusing uh, on the incident that happened in Greater Manchester when two p- uh, female police officers um, were, were killed uh, attending what they thought was just a routine burglary. And we're asking this morning, should the police be armed? It's that question that keeps popping up every now and then, doesn't it? Every kind of six months or every year or so, there is an incident uh, and the, the, the question is raised. I'm really keen to get your your thoughts on this. We were discussing this in the office before the show. Uh, some of the, the the staff here were surprised to find out that the police aren't armed constantly, and they're not. There there are more armed police than there used to be when I were a lad back in today. I still get nervous going through an airport, and you see a couple of big burly coppers walking past with those machine guns. They've got machine guns. Now, listen, of course, we know that airports are particularly prone um, to, you know, potential terrorist attacks. It doesn't make me feel any more relaxed seeing them with those guns. Makes me very anxious. So, you can text in this morning, 81333, start your text 3CR, um, or email 3cr at bbc.co.uk. Should the police be armed? Yes or no? It's a simple question. 
If you want to give us a bit more detail, you can. It'd be great to talk to you about this as well, because I think this is something that uh, requires a little bit of investigation as to, to, to where you get your, your point of view from. So give me a call. 08459 455 555. <laughs> It's 6.15, it's Wednesday the 19th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Greater Manchester Police are continuing to question a man about the deaths of two female officers in a gun and grenade attack yesterday. A 25-year-old man has been found guilty of assaulting a woman after locking her in his car in St Albans after what the judge described as a campaign of possessive and obsessive behaviour. In last night's football, Watford lost 1-0 at home to Brighton. MK Dons drew one all against Notts County. Stevenage won 3-1 at home to Walsall. And Wickham lost 3-2 at Exeter. We'll have a full weather bulletin in a couple of minutes. Coming up, concerns are being raised over the amount of traffic a new centre parks in Bedfordshire will generate. We'll find out more before 6.30. BBC Three Counties Radio. Oh wait, four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. We'll be talking as well about growing old gracefully. Do you dye your hair? I don't. Should police be armed and going old gracefully? We'll talk about that in a few minutes. Across beds, hearts, and bugs. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Don't forget, you can listen to Nick Coffer today between 12 and 3. Um, oh, is this happening today? Look, he's speaking to... Oh, he's speaking to folk music star Julie Felix. She's good. You won't know who she is, the kids working on this show. Julie Felix is good. Um, she's performed with the, with the Kinks and Leonard Cohen. She lives in Hertfordshire and was going to tell us about her upcoming show. Fantastic. Oh, I shall definitely be checking that in. That's got me a little bit excited. And uh, well done, Nick. Excellent work. Right, uh, we're asking, should the police be armed? Ben uh, in Buckingham has got in touch. Good morning, Ben. Good morning. Ben, what do you reckon? I don't think they should be armed. You don't think they should? No. Why is that, sir? Is that in sometimes, instead of releasing them on bail, they should keep them in custody still, because when these, some of them get released on bail, they then go out and commit other crimes or murder people. So you're and you're saying that that the crooks um, that if they get arrested for something they should yeah. be charged or sent to prison and they shouldn't be let out on bail because th- th- they create a bigger risk. Yeah, yeah. Well, Ben, stay there for a second because Dave yeah. is on the line. Looking. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, Ian. You disagree with Ben, don't you? No, I don't agree with Ben. No, I agree with him what he said there. Do you uh, think the police he... should be armed or not? I do, yeah, and I think all the, everyone else should be armed in this country now. Excuse me? I think everyone now should be armed and be allowed to get a gun, like in America. Yes. See what's going on in this country, because you're hearing it, not just in Greater Manchester. Yeah. Every day you read it in the papers, killings, knives, guns. You don't, you, you don't go out. You don't even let your kids out at night time, even though it's light. Dave, it's not that bad. Oh, we can, oh don't. Are you scared? No, okay, seriously, are, are, you, are you scared to go out because you're afraid you might get shot or stabbed? Oh, oh nice, yeah. You read, really? it in the, read it in the papers every day. It's every day, it, not just Great Manchester, anywhere in this country, there's killings going on on a lot. Well, we've had two in this town in the last, what, three weeks? So you're scared to go out. So you would you would th- you would feel safer, Dave, if you had a gun. Well, yeah, I would do because you know the, the crooks is... would have guns as well. Well, everyone's got guns, haven't they? They've all got guns. 
You've got. I, I can tell you now. In, in this te- in this part of the te- Luton, yeah. there's about I know about five blokes with guns. Really? Yeah. Would, when you say when you say blokes, would you mean like not your mates? No, no, I, w- I won't go into too much. No, detail. I don't want any names or no names, no pack drill. But but just regular people that have got guns. Yeah. Illegally. Yeah. Ben, what do you Ben? What do you reckon? Dave rec- Dave says we should all be armed. Um, certain places, yeah, but not everywhere. What do you mean? Where, where, I'm shocked by all of this. Where do you mean certain places, Ben? Because there are like certain places in the country which are worse than others, where some people might need it to feel safe. Right. But surely, if we if we turn, there is a higher number of gun crimes and gun incidents in America where they all have guns. But it, but it's le- yeah, but it's leading over to this country, hasn't it, from America? Okay. Well, Dave, listen. Thank you very much. There's Ben there and Dave in Luton. Dave putting forward the slightly controversial view that w- we should all have guns. And he says he knows five people who've got guns illegally. Really? I'm always a little bit naive when it comes to guns. We talked about guns uh, last week, and it always surprises me a little bit. Arming everybody, that's not really the way. We don't want to become like America, do we? I don't know, what do you think? 81333, start your text 3CR, or give us a call, 08459 455 555. Now, concern is being raised over the amount of traffic a new centre parks in Bedfordshire will generate. It comes as the company has unveiled positions for 1,500 staff at its Woburn Forest project, which is due to open in the spring of 2014. Our reporter, Tony Fisher, spoke to Martin Staples, who owns the garden centre next door to the entrance of the site. I think the major problem is changeover days, which are Mondays and Fridays when, according to their figures, there's 3,600 traffic movements a day in and out of the site. And I'm dubious whether this road will cope with such traffic movements. And you've been to other centre parks as well, haven't you, so you can compare? Yeah, I mean, the nearest one to this one on a similar sort of road seems to be uh, Thetford, and there's a dual carriageway opens up from the original country road and the entrance is uh, a whole lot bigger affair altogether. But they may have done their sums right. That will remain to be seen. Many people turned up yesterday to the Rufus Centre in Flitwick, where Centre Parks held an open session for those interested in working at the site. The company will hold a proper recruitment day in the summer of next year in time for the opening in spring 2014. These people had this to say. Obviously there's a downsides like traffic and stuff, but at the same point it's local, it's providing a lot of job opportunities for local people as well. So it's not too bad. I can do beauty therapy side of things, or I could be a tea lady. I don't mind, actually. Part-time? Full-time? Part-time. Part-time. <laughs> I could do something to try and get out of our road, because the traffic is going to be diabolical. So, I mean, get here before it, uh, it starts um, building up. It is a worry, because if they come off at Junction 12, then they're going to come straight past our road, and that's going to be a problem on Mondays and Fridays. Um, just got to see. But the benefits, I think, will definitely outweigh the traffic concerns. I think so, yes, for everyone around here. I mean, it's so bad at the moment for employment uh, jobs around the area, so it's, um, it's got to be a positive all around, traffic so, or not. So it would appear it's good news for the local economy, but how do you prevent future visitors from coming off the M1 at Junction 12 and causing congestion through Flittick, despite the road signs directing them to come off at Junction 13? Well, Tony put that to the Chief Executive of Centre Parks, Martin Dolby. It's a question that's raised by many local people. You know, even today I've had a number of locals asking me the very same question. Uh, 
Centre Parks has done, we think, as much as we can do in the sense that all of our literature, uh, both in paper copy and also on our website, will talk about Junction 13. The access from Junction 13 is so slick now with the new dual carriageway. We're you know, very confident that uh, you know, traffic through Flitwick will, will not be an issue. Even if you're coming from the south, you're coming out the motorway from the south, it's going to be difficult for people not to turn off at 12 in a way. It's going to be difficult for people not to turn off. Absolutely, that could be the case. As I say, Centre Parks has done everything it possibly can to try and you know, make sure our guests do come off at 13. Uh, it's a much quicker and easier and swifter route from 13, even though it's one junction further north on that motorway. If you live in that area, I'd love to hear from you if you're concerned uh, about the potential traffic that's going to arise. Apparently it's Mondays and Fridays, I think, are the changeover days when the guests come and when they go. And they're talking about something like 3,600 vehicles um, coming and going. It sounds a little bit daunting, doesn't it? Are you worried? Across beds, hearts and bucks, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Good morning, dear listener. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. We're asking this morning, uh, on on the back of this story from uh, Greater Manchester, should the police be armed? And Val has texted in saying, do not arm the police. Better to reintroduce capital punishment, as most people in this country would prefer. I don't know if they would, Val. I don't know if most people would prefer capital punishment. You can never bring it back, it's flawed. But, but slightly more interestingly, I, f- I think that Val is making a curry. She can't come on the phone. We tried to give her a call and say, would you fancy come on and talking about this? She can't because she is making a curry. At half past six in the morning? That's ridiculous. It's kind of got me thinking, though, what, what other odd things are you up to while you're listening to this show? Could you give us a little text, 81333? Start your text 3CR. Just let me know, what are you doing at the moment while you're having a listen to this show? Val's making a curry. What are you up to? 81333. Start your text 3CR. Just let me know what you're doing uh, at six ridiculous o'clock in the morning. Now, tonight England are going to play Croatia in the final qualifying match for the Women's Euro 2013 tournament. A win will secure England's qualification. Ellsbury's Ellen White is an English international football forward and was part of Team GB at the Olympics. You're in this morning. 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 How are you doing? You're right. Yeah, I'm good, thank you. You look relatively perky for 6:30 in the morning. <laughs> would you? Would, do you normally get up and like do a bit of football training and stuff now? Um, yeah, I tend to get up kind of quite early and, and go for a run or something um, really? if we haven't got training um, in the evening. So, right. yeah. I'm, I'm so not a sporty type. I don't know if you can tell that just from looking. You look very sporty. Yes. <laughs> Tonight's game is vital to yes. secure England's progression. How are the team feeling? Are they confident? Yeah, I think we're, we're very confident. Um, we, we played them away um, a few months ago and won kind of convincingly 6-0, but that's not bad, is it? I don't know it's, a lot it, about football. 6-0 is quite a good score. Yeah, isn't it? yeah it's, it's definitely a good score and it put us in a good position. But obviously, it's our last game. We kind of need three points to qualify. So it, a little bit of nerves obviously kick in. But right. I think um, yeah, I think the girls have, have got enough within the team to, to get a good result, really. So do you have to win to qualify? Yeah, tonight? we have to win. Holland and, and us, are, I think we're on the similar points now. So right. um, yeah, we've got a game in hand. So we have to kind of win to, to get through, really. Are Croatia any good, though? I can't believe that they're particularly strong side are they <laughs> I think they've got some some decent players <clears> in there <throat> in their squad um, but they could potentially put kind of 11 players behind the, the ball or, yeah. or park a bus in their goal so it could are be they allowed bit... to do that these days <laughs> you can actually park a bus in front you of the goal you can have a couple of buses on the field just, <clears throat> wow. just park in front of the goal but yeah it, it could potentially be a hard game but hopefully we'll, we'll, we'll do the business really now Ellen you're not playing this evening no why 
<laughs> what have you done? Um, I got two yellow cards, so I'm suspended for this game. Unbelievable! You I look know. like you look like such a decent human being, but it turns out you're a bit of a, a terror. Are <laughs> Thank, you on the pitch? Thanks. Um, yeah, I got. I, I kind of change a little bit from off the field to, to on the field. I go a, a little bit crazy. I've calmed down a lot, Good. but yeah. It, I don't think they were too bad, the yellow cards that what, I did get. What was the last yellow card you got? What did you do? Um, it was a challenge with a goalie. A goalie always gets a, the benefit of the doubt, I always think, but... <laughs> <laughs> Probably shouldn't say that, actually. Of course you shouldn't say that. <laughs> uh, I think it's interesting. We were saying before that I, I don't, I'm not particularly a football fan. But uh, it, it's always like men, men's football, men's football, men's football. Oh, girls, girls are playing football. <laughs> good, good luck, girls. You go off and have a little. Yeah. Well done. You have your little thing. Is that that must be really frustrating, isn't it? Yeah, I think um, it is a little bit frustrating when when some people kind of have that perception of, of women's mm. football. But I think it's definitely changing, especially right. on the back of the Olympics. They think that kind of there is a niche in the market for women's football, and there is a big demand for it. Yeah. especially in the media and stuff so i think some people do that go on women you you go over there to play football but um no that's definitely changing and the fact that the game's on bbc2 it's getting a lot more coverage it is definitely a great thing for so us it's on proper telly yeah proper telly <laughs> so your mum can watch it yeah. uh, if ever i do anything on telly if it's not on the first four buttons my mum doesn't think it's proper <laughs> so that what, what is it's on tonight is it what time yeah five o'clock okay uh, do, do you earn like £100,000 a week? Is that, do those figures go, move over to women's football? Yeah, yeah, my Ferraris is quite... <laughs> I've got, I've got a, sh- a chauffeur to drive me in it. And he's, so, just, he's just he's outside, just my bodyguard's just outside as well. Uh, well, listen, I, I wish you the best of luck. I hope it's, you're going to be there cheering them on and yeah. pumping your fist in the air. <laughs> just don't get into any trouble, for God's sake, Ellen. No, I'm very chilled off the field. Good. Uh, now, a report has come out today. The Department for Culture, Media and Sport want all supporters and players groups to proactively tackle all forms of discrimination uh, including racism have any of the the team gb experienced racism in football um i don't think we have um as such really i think it's, it's changing a lot there's right. so many now good campaigns out there now that that are really trying to tackle it so um yeah i think there's some great things that are, that are happening within football and hopefully we can we can prevent it really because this report came out and i, I it, it's so surprising me that in 2012 people think that that's an acceptable thing to do in a football match is shout racist abuse at someone. It seems incredible to me. Yeah, it is, it is pre- pretty incredible, really. Um, but I think um, that probably stems back from mob football and all yeah. that style kind of years ago. But I think we're definitely kind of changing um, in this lifetime now and, ho- and hopefully we can continue to, to make things better in football. But, you know, it's definitely improving. I've never been to a football match. Is it worth going one day? <gasps> Well, that's shocking. Is it? Yeah. I'm not really into I like playing FIFA. <laughs> yeah, that's the same. <laughs> on the Xbox. And that's kind of... It's funny because I like that, but I don't, I, is, is, is there a good atmosphere at a football match? Yeah, it's amazing. Really? Um, I'm a West Ham fan, so it's a, it's a good good atmosphere at right. West Ham. But yeah, no, every football game is, is pretty cool to go watch. You should come watch us. I, I, I will, I'll come along, definitely, one day. One day. A bit he busy. A bit busy at the moment. Uh, well, listen, best of luck. I hope the Thank team you. does well. England versus Croatia is live on BBC Two tonight uh, from 5pm. No doubt we'll speak to you and find out how it went. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Right. Uh, oh, it's time for a little bit of this. Pet Shop Boys. 08459 four double five five double five. Speak to you after this. The Pet Shop Boys. Another little bouncy pop number from them. They're leaving. Uh, now, there was a report uh, in the papers today uh, that Fiona Bruce, the newsreader and broadcaster, uh, has started dyeing her hair. This is one of those stories that there is a great fear, apparently, uh, that the women presenters in particular uh, are afraid of uh, ageing because 
they can kind of get the boot. And we hear stories about this, that the women are too old, so they get taken off shows and they're not allowed to work and stuff. So she started dyeing her hair. Now, I'm turning into a silver fox at the age of 39, and I am loving it. And I like seeing women with grey hair. I love it. I absolutely love it. I think it's the way forward. So would you dye your hair, have a little nip and tuck? Do you grow old gracefully? Or... Do you, uh, do you, you know, do you change things? Do you, you tinker with what nature has given you? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. We'll be speaking to Justin Dealey a little bit later on, who I believe is out and about gathering opinions uh, on what you think on this. I think there's no, I, I like seeing an older woman with grey hair. I think it's, it, it shows maturity, it shows intelligence, and it can be damned sexy. There, I've said it. So what do you think? If you are uh, of an age, have you dyed your hair? Have you changed things? 08459 455 555 is the telephone number if you want to give us uh, a call and let me know um, about that. We'll talk about that a bit later on. We're also asking, should um, the police be armed? Uh, And we have uh, Mark. Good morning, Mark. Uh, Morning. Mark, whereabouts are you calling from? And Bedford. Bed- Bedford. What do you uh, make on this, Mark? Should the police be armed? No, I don't think so. Um, I think the, you know, the situation we've got at the moment with armed police units is, is more than adequate. I don't think we should give guns to every police officer. Do you think that it would, it would make um, the situations worse if the police were armed? Yeah, I mean, I think if you take the situation you had with um, the police officer that um, killed Ian Tomlinson in, in London... You know, not everybody in the police is, I think, um, suitable to be walking around the streets with a gun. Uh, yes, it's interesting you say that, because, yeah, there is obviously a great weight of responsibility. But, uh, again, without addressing the situation specifically in Manchester, but situations like that, if, if police were routinely armed, uh, surely it would put off criminals from doing these kind of random attacks, wouldn't it? I think you're more likely to, to make the criminals... Um, become more arms, more likely to carry guns. Mark, listen, thank you very much. Mark in Bedford's there saying that the police shouldn't be routinely armed. 08459 455 555. We're getting some great texts as well. I'll do these in a second. Some great texts on what you're doing while you're listening to the show. Thank you, Sophie. These are your headlines on Wednesday the 19th of September, 6.45 on BBC Three Counties Radio. A 29-year-old man is being questioned by Greater Manchester Police on suspicion of murdering two female police officers. A 25-year-old man has been found guilty of assaulting a woman after locking her in his car in St Albans in what the judge described as a campaign of possessive and obsessive behaviour. Sport and in football, England's women face Croatia at Walsall in their final qualifying match for Euro 2013 this evening, needing a win to progress to the finals. The weather today for beds, hearts and bucks dry with decent sunny spells. Top temperature, 15 degrees. Oh dear. Coming up, we'll be speaking to Justin Dealey and finding out, do people like to grow old gracefully? BBC Three Counties Radio. Right, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. You can give us a call 08459 455 555. I've been asking you to text in and let me know, <coughs> excuse me, frog in my throat, uh, what you're doing while you're listening to the show. It's, I often wonder, uh, it's, it's, it's quarter to seven in the morning, what are you doing? Are you pottering around? Are you lying in bed? Are you getting ready for work? Uh, Val texted him um, and said she was making a curry. Good for you, Val. 
Good for you. Ben says, I'm drinking a cup of tea while smoking a fag in bed. Listening to you like I do every day. Well, isn't that a beautiful image? <laughs> Ben's having a fag in bed. <laughs> Good, well done. Um, here we go. Listen, listen to this. Uh, Top Cat in Luton. I'm in bed, watching telly on mute, listening to you and playing Patience. Okay. And Linda. Now, Linda has intrigued me with this. I've just finished stirring wine pulps. Has to be twice daily till ready for straining. I, I may sound like an idiot here. What on earth are wine pulps? Can you give us a call? 08459 455 555. What are wine pulps? And let us know what you're doing now. I think it builds up a nice image of what my listenership is like. Speak to you after this. Robbie Williams. Good morning, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Now, Fiona Bruce has admitted to dyeing her hair to cover up the grey. She says going grey is bad for women on TV. But shouldn't we all just grow old gracefully? One man who will grow old gracefully just because he's so beautiful. It's Justin Dilly. Good morning, Justin. <laughs> oh, good morning, Foxy. How I've got to say, you, you returned from your holiday yesterday and he was showing off all around the office in his lovely sort of white trendy T-shirt, his mm. tan. You look mm. wonderful. Thank you, Ian. Thank you. I appreciate the nice you, words. You're, you're very welcome. Now, what have you got for us this morning? <laughs> yes, well, we've been out this morning um, talking to the ladies in Lucid. In actual fact, I was actually grey once. I went into the hairdressers. I was in a bit of a hurry. It was a Friday. I remember the day very well. And... <laughs> It was <laughs> a terrible day for you. It was you. a terrible day. I said, uh, can I have some highlights? Yes, no problem. Here's the book. I was in a hurry. I said, I'll have that one, please. And, yeah. um, well, what I didn't realise was that that was Ash Blonde. I went out that night and people said, hey, are, you, are you going a bit grey there? And I said, what, what do you mean am I going grey? Are you looking a bit grey? So I had to go and get my hair highlighted again a oh, week later. You're but you um, such a... Yes. Yeah. Simple mistake. I'm, going, I'm, I'm salt and pepper at the moment, and I'm loving it. Mm, I have to say, I quite like the look, actually. A nice, Thank nice you. look. So, Thank you. Uh, we have been talking to the ladies in Luton this morning. We've been looking in particular for ladies who dye their hair, and I found Kat. Well, I'm here with Kat, who I have to say looks a lot better than Kat Slater. Kat, welcome to the programme. You do dye your hair. Will you highlight your hair? Tell us more about that. Uh, I highlight my hair once every two months, maybe. Does it make you feel good when you do it? Yeah. Yeah. I'm with you. I've got blonde highlights as well, you see. So, what do you think about Fiona Bruce? Uh, she's dyed her hair brown because she's going grey. Should we all be growing old gracefully? What's your thoughts on that? Well, women probably stay younger looking if they dyed their hair. Because mm. men look older, in my opinion, <laughs> with grey hair. So you think she's done the right thing? Yeah. And it's a big confidence thing, isn't it? You know, yourself, as you say, you have highlights once every two months. When you have that done, it makes you feel better, doesn't it? Yeah, that's correct. So who is anybody to argue? If if it makes you feel better, why not do it? Why not do it? Exactly. women would have probably be walking around with grey hair. (laughs) Thanks for your time, Kat. Kat making the point there, Ian, that, uh, you know, without hair dye, we could have a lot more women walking around with grey hair. She makes an interesting point. So from grey, we go to the redhead. Here's Karen, who's a redhead. So how long have you been dyeing your hair red for, then? I've been dyeing it red for about two years. And does it make you feel sexier? Yep. Yeah? And the guys think so, too. <laughs> oh, interesting. And, uh, Nikki, what about yourself? Would you ever dye your hair? No, I wouldn't dye my hair. Now, tell us why that is. I don't know. I just like my natural hair colour, so I don't think I'd put any products on it. I like to dye it, so... But what about Fiona Brusso? Because she's saying that she was going grey, so she's dyed it brown. Do you think that if, and you might get there one day if you go grey, would you dye it then? Yeah, I'd definitely dye it if I was going grey. Not quite as red as your friend here, though, Karen, who's uh, quite a redhead, isn't she? Yeah, she's quite red, but no, I wouldn't dye it that red. And she's saying that the men around here find her attractive with the red hair. Is that true? Can you back her up? Yeah, definitely. She's a sexy lady. 
So there you go, Ian. Just uh, a few oh views dear, for you this morning. Dear, but uh, they do agree that Fiona Bruce has done the right thing. Interesting what she's saying. She's saying I work on television. There's still a real ageism issue on TV. But also she's saying that she wouldn't have plastic surgery because her husband wouldn't forgive her. So she wouldn't go that far. Isn't it? I do think it's sad that women kind of, that we have this culture where women have to cheat a little bit and dye their hair because the older women are slightly frowned upon. But would you ever go for the plastic surgery, Justin? Uh, no. <laughs> to, to be quite blunt, for, for, for the time being anyway. I mean, obviously, you know, I may change my views on that, but um, I think... Dying when it all gets hair, a bit saggy. We, <laughs> quite possibly. I think, <laughs> I think maybe, but I think, you know, when it comes to hair, you've heard there from the ladies, if they do dye their hair, it's a confidence thing. It makes them feel young, it makes them feel fresh, and if they want to do it, why shouldn't they? I did dye my hair once. Years ago, I went cherry... Oh, rich red brown, Ooh. and uh, it it was quite good fun actually. But then it's a, it's a pain; you've got to keep doing it. So I did it once, and I thought, well, that's that. I'm never doing that nonsense oh, I again. Would love to see a picture of that, please. I'll see what I can find for you, Justin. Yeah, Anything else, you. sir? Uh, no. Well, what I was going to say, you saw, you mentioned football earlier. Yes. You've never been to a football game before. How about I officially invite you to a Luton Town match uh, very soon? But that, the, listen, the reason I've never been to a football match before is I, I I will say this: I have very little interest in football. As I say, I like playing a bit of FIFA on the Xbox, but that's kind of I, I'm a bit nervous of football matches. Why are you nervous? Well, they're a bit rowdy and aggressive, aren't they? I thought you liked that sort of thing. That's you all <laughs> over, isn't it? <laughs> I think you'd love football. I mean, Colin Berry, who works on the radio station, has yes. only ever been to one football game, that football game being the 1966 World Cup. Wow. Final. He can't really go to another game no. because you can't beat that. But you, no excuse, Ian. I'll take you to a game. You, you, OK, well, so where are you going to take me? I'll take you to Kenilworth Throws, yep. the home of Luton Town Football Club. We'll pick a nice game for you and uh, we'll have a nice day out. Do they do vegetarian food there Ian, we're talking about a football ground here. Come on, get real. All right, Justin, you're on. Are you could, yes, I will come to a football match with you. Excellent. I don't know why I'm so, I've, I've got a hint of regret in my voice as I say that. Thank you, Justin. There we go. Justin, little report there on. Uh, uh, oh, look, it's my phone beeping. There we go. So I uh, could hear a beep all through that. I thought, what, is, what has Justin got beeping in the background? It turns out it was me. And he's, he's tricked me into going to a football match with him. Well, maybe we'll record that and have a little bit of that. Right. Let's go to Vanessa in Bedford. Good morning, Vanessa. Good morning. Do you dye your hair, Vanessa? No, not anymore. Wh- why not? My hair used to grow so quick. <clears throat> I started <clears throat> dyeing it when I was about 21. Yes. Because um, I started going grey when I was 18. Oh dear, right. And I thought, and I got to a certain age, I thought, you know what, I can't be bothered. Yeah. It just grows so quickly, so now I'm just grey. With and some dark strands, do you find it? Do you find that, that people treat you differently because you're grey? No, I get called Madam more, <laughs> <laughs> which is annoying. Does it? Do you get offered seats on buses and things? No. Okay. Does, does it make you? Are you worried that it might make you look older? No, no. I think I think a woman with grey hair. I think it's very sexy. Oh, do you? Hell yes, definitely. Oh, very nice. Mm, thank you for this. I think we should end this here. It's getting a little bit too steamy here at BBC Three Counties Radio. Inappropriate. I can't believe I've agreed to go to a football match. I managed to go 39 years without doing it, and now I'm going with Justin. Oh, well. Lots to come up in the next couple of hours of the show. I'll tell you what, after the latest news and sport with Catherine Boyle. Thank you, Catherine. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio, here until nine o'clock, and plenty coming up in the show this morning. As you've heard, two unarmed policewomen were killed yesterday in Greater Manchester. We're asking, should all our police be armed? 
A report has come out that says football clubs, big and small, need to do more to stamp out racism. We'll be discussing this later on. And Fiona Bruce has come out and admitted that, yes, she dyes her hair. Shouldn't we all just grow old gracefully? BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, also this morning, I've been asking, what have you been doing? What do you do while the show is on? It's kind of nice for me to get a, an image of where you are, who I'm talking to, you know, so we can kind of maybe tailor the show to your needs. So it, just you can send me a little text. Let me know what you're doing this morning while listening to the show. 81333. Start your text 3CR. Karen, it's, like, it's lovely, we'll get a little glimpse into your worlds. Karen, I'm sewing a zip into a dod- toddler's jacket that I knitted. Well done, you. I love a bit of knitting. I used to be able to knit when I was a lad. I couldn't do it now. I wouldn't have a clue how to do it now. But well done, Karen. Uh, and Linda texted in earlier on, saying, I've just finished stirring wine pulps. I've got no idea what wine pulps are. She's texted back. The wine pulp is wine fermenting on the fruits before it strains. It's strained and goes on to be rather nice wines. Well, th- there you go, Linda. Thank you. A-, a-, a glimpse into Linda's boozy lifestyle. Now, on to more serious matters. The Chief Constable of Greater Manchester Police described yesterday as one of the darkest days in the force's history after two female officers died when they were injured in a gun and grenade attack in Thameside. PC Fiona Bone and PC Nicola Hughes were responding to what they thought was a normal burglary. Shortly afterwards, a 29-year-old man who'd been the subject of a four-month-long manhunt handed himself into the police. Well, Steve Lloyd is the trust manager and vice chairman of the Police Role of Honour Trust, who maintain the national role of honour for UK officers who've died in the line of duty. Morning, Steve. Good morning, Ian. Steve, you're a former detective constable with Greater Manchester Police. How do you feel when... How did you feel when you heard what had happened? Well, I think like everybody else, when I first heard it, it's uh, just before... Excuse me, 11 o'clock yesterday morning. Just a very sickening feeling, very sad, and one of complete incredulity. It was just uh, so sad, so sad. I mean, listen, anyone getting shot is sad. Police officers who are putting their their life on the line is sad. And and, and now there's the kind of the human stories coming out about one of the girls was getting married, and it does, it is heartbreaking, isn't it, to think of all of the lives that will be affected by this. How will the the police who knew her in Manchester be attempting to cope with this? Well, I'm guessing they'll all be supporting each other to get through this. Yeah, it, it, it's something that, uh, like you know, like all of us, uh, you, you've heard it said that the police is a big family. Uh, I can tell you that in the years I worked for the police, that's exactly how it is. Mm. Um, people, uh, you form a bond. Um, you know, going into situations together that are out the the ordinary. You, you, afterwards, you you do your own counselling. Um, th- th- there's uh, informal. Um, how, how could I say there's a, an informal form of counselling mm. but after that of course uh, depending on the circumstances especially as tragic as these were the the organisation will have a welfare department will have people who can come along sit there and listen um, there's always uh, a chaplaincy attached to every police force the, as I said there's welfare departments it's uh, a lot of um, a lot of soul search will be going mm. on you know that feeling of uh, well why was it the girls why didn't I answer that call there'll be a whole range of emotions going on now Steve uh, is it normal for two female officers to go out on their own is that normal practice 
yes, yes. Two police officers. Um, don't need to be chauvinistic about this. Um, the two police officers. Mm. Um, they, they, they will have been carrying all the equipment that they're issued with, all their officer safety training uh, is there in the background for them, the, the actual equipment that they carry. It, yeah, there's no reason why um, two officers responding to what was just a routine call, uh, somebody phoning for help, asking uh, for help that the house had been burgled, as I understand it, yeah, they wouldn't have had any idea. Mm. They'll obviously have known of the in, uh, incident, excuse me, because of the incidents previously that this man was wanted for, uh, but they weren't being deployed to that. They mm. weren't being deployed to an armed man. They were being deployed to a routine call of uh, a domestic burglary. Where do you, I mean, it raises the question that pops up every few months or so, uh, Steve. Where do you stand on the arming of police officers? <laughs> Um, well, the Police Role of Honour Trust, uh, we're a non-political organisation, we, uh, we're there to remember fallen officers, it's not something that I would, uh, I would give a view on at this stage, I'm afraid. Okay, that's there are other older and wiser heads trying to decide on things like this. Um, it's just an absolute tragedy. Mm. Who would have thought that two officers at that time of the morning would have been faced with what is unprecedented. Uh, a man coming out of the house, bad enough the fact that he was armed, but throwing a hand grenade. Yeah. It's the stuff that Hollywood movies... Well, that uh, takes it into, the, in, into the realm of, of, of fantasy, doesn't it? Because it's to be armed with military hardware, as we suspect this gentleman was. <laughs> Steve, listen, thank you so much for, for your time. I really appreciate it, and um, keep up the good work uh, that, that you do as uh, vice-chairman. Uh, of the Police Role of Honours Trust, which maintains the National Role of Honour for UK officers who've died in the line of duty. That was Steve Lloyd there. Well, it, it does raise the question, and I have to say this again, we don't want to talk spe- too specifically about this case because it is an ongoing uh, case. But where do you stand on the uh, idea of arming the police routinely? Steve, very tactfully, I thought, sidestepped that question as, as that's not his, his duty in, in the role that we were speaking to him to, to make a political statement. But where do you stand as a member of the public? Would you feel safer knowing that all the police were armed? Or would you worry that perhaps it would create more gun crime? Because if all the police are armed, then all the criminals are going to be armed, aren't they? We don't want to go the way of America, surely. Where there's the gun battles all the time. Listen, I know a caller earlier on said that you hear about guns and stabbings all the time. They happen quite a lot in this country. They are rarer than you think. It doesn't... There aren't hundreds of things like this happening every single day. They are rarer than you think. And you shouldn't be afraid to go out in, 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 you know, in the daytime and worried you're going to get shot or stabbed. It doesn't happen that often. It happens too often. It doesn't happen that often. You shouldn't be scared to go out, for goodness sakes. Do you think the police should be uh, armed? 08459. Uh, 08459 John uh, in Apsley Guys uh, has texted him. And he says, why would you arm the police? Some of them are useless. Uh, And Julian from Barton has texted, I agree with Val. DNA nowadays gives no doubt that someone is guilty. Or this is talking about bringing back the death penalty. Tougher tougher laws for being caught with knife or gun would make people think twice. I I don't want to do a whole, should we bring back the death penalty, phoning. Because it's it's kind of the stock-in-trade cliche of of phoning hosts. But you're wrong. It shouldn't be brought back. But you hang one person that's innocent... It's been a complete waste of time. 
Uh, also, I've been asking, uh, um, uh, what's, oh, about old people growing old gracefully. Sorry, I'm just reading these texts as they come in. Uh, because Fiona Bruce says that going grey is bad for women on the telly, and she admits to dyeing her hair. Vickers texted in, my hair's dyed. But she spelt it D-I-E-D. Does that mean she's bald? He, oh, there we go. <laughs> there we go. Uh, Dave is on the line. Good morning, Dave. Good morning, how are you? I'm all right there, Dave. I'm getting tongue-tied this morning because I've just, it's just dawned on me, I haven't eaten any breakfast. All I had was half of a mouldy apple. And I was eating the apple in the car on the way up, and I, I thought, well, this is horrible. So I've not eaten anything, Dave. So any donations, gratefully appreciated. Right, I'm not coming over that way. Oh, that's a shame. Never mind, Dave. What have you got for yeah. us this morning? Yeah, you don't have to go and watch football. Go, go on, why? Well, I just find it strange that everybody thinks that you must watch football. Yeah. I mean, I can't stand it myself. I have gone and seen it once in the past, many years ago, and I just didn't enjoy it. But <laughs> I find it strange that you've just got to watch it all the time. Who did you go and see? And, and what match was it? Oh, well, crumbs. I think it was a, one of the Luton Millwall matches, and the right. person behind me was stabbed. Oh, my God. And, what? Uh, so I just never, never enjoyed it, and uh, you, you never would. watched. <laughs> <laughs> to be honest, Dave, you wouldn't. If the fella behind you got stabbed, would you? That would that, no, that no, kind of brings no, a but, downer and everything. But no, I just don't understand why everybody thinks football and that is brilliant. I do find, uh, Dave, that, that that being a man, and it turns out I am. I've had the test results back now. Uh, that being a man, that people do kind of look at you a bit odd when they say, "So, what team do you support?" Uh, I don't. I don't really like football. There's kind of a bit of a recoil, isn't there? There is, yeah, yeah. Well, I'm going. Justin uh, Dealey has talked me into going to a Luton match with him. What should I take with me? Well, I don't know. Put me on a plate, I should think. There we go, Dave. Thank you very much. It's funny, being a man and, and not liking football, people do kind of look at you a little bit odd. Uh, Matt is in Luton. Yes, Matt? Hello there. Matt, what can I do for you? Uh, well, I'm just talking about the... There is no deterrent now. The police go out on the... They're risking their life and limb. They are. But we've got no deterrent. We must have a deterrent. Yeah, and what do you think that you deterrent know, should be? We're all mourning about saying, oh, we don't want to get like America. We mustn't be like America. But you've got to have some type of deterrent. Let's get the guns out. Let's sort these people out. They didn't use guns. They used grenades. You've got no chance against a grenade. But, again, not going into the specifics of this incident, uh, but quite often the police arrive at situations and are unaware of who may be loitering there. There, there are armed police around that, that can be called out when they're required. Yeah, but they're not efficient enough. They want to be there on the spot when they're called. So get you, them out. Matt, you get think... Get this off of the streets. Get these people sorted out. Matt, thank you very much. Matt in Luton there with strong views saying that the police should be armed. What do you think? 08459 455 555. Thank you, Matt. Good morning, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. It's 7.15 on Wednesday, the uh, 19th, oh my goodness, of September. These are your headlines today. Greater Manchester Police are questioning a suspect about the deaths of two unarmed constables in a gun and grenade attack yesterday. A St Alban man has been jailed for 12 months after a single punch left a teenager with serious brain injuries. In sport, England play Croatia tonight in the final qualifying match for the Women's Euro 2013 tournament. We'll have a full weather bulletin shortly with Dan Holly, And coming up, we're talking about racism in football this morning. Before 7.30, we'll speak to former Watford player and legend Ian Bolton to get his view on the issue. BBC Three Counties Radio. Ladies, are you glad to be grey? 
I don't think there's any shame in it whatsoever, but more and more women are dyeing their hair. Fiona Bruce has come out, the TV news reporter and presenter, and said that, yes, she dyes her hair because in her job, she kind of has to look young. You do hear stories, don't you, about um, companies like the BBC letting, letting older women go because they're too old. I do find it strange that on the news, it's often like an old grey-haired man and a, a hot young woman. What's the relationship supposed to be there? It's strange, isn't it? I would, I, I, I would happily watch an older woman reading the news, a little bit of authority. Emma's in Stevenage. Good morning, Emma. Morning, Ian. Do you dye your hair? I do. I've gone from... I was went grey at 13. Wow, so really? I w- yes. Did anything happen? To, was there yes. some trauma? There was. There right. was a major trauma. Um, and I was dark... I was Fiona Bruce's colour. Yeah. And within three years, I was totally grey. And then I decided... I coloured it up until dark brown, up until I was in my late 30s. Yeah. And then I thought... What the hell? I'm in my thirties. I'm old. let's go go. No, I'm not. I'm not old. No. I mean, I've got three three children that keep me young, and I've gone blonde. And I tell you what, I've had more fun since I've been blonde than I was brown. Steady on. Right. Let's keep this above the waist, for goodness' sake, Emma. <laughs> Dear, I don't want to go into your. Oh, for goodness! I can hear the kids shouting in the background. <laughs> so, Emma, would you ever? Would you ever go? Be, be quiet, for goodness' sakes! Ian, saying be quiet, Grace. You sure choice on Monday? Oh, it's, oh, it's Grace, isn't it? Grace is one of our strictly correspondents. <laughs> well, just when she's on a Monday, you can be shouting in the background as well. Oh, Emma. I will do. Don't mind. Looking forward to speaking to Grace. I'll we'll have a few words with her on Monday. <laughs> uh, would you ever just stop dying it and let and go? What well, you must be white-haired by now. I'm. I'm not. A, what would I call it? A very light blonde. <laughs> so that's that's white, isn't it, Emma? Come on, let's be yes, sensible. Yes, I'm, I'm silver white. But do you not feel that, that did you feel that there's a pressure on you as uh, a woman uh, in her middle age uh, to to kind of look younger by dyeing your hair? Yeah, I think if you're if you're happy in yourself yeah. and you're comfortable with yourself, you can get away with any colour, any style, whatever you want. I think Shona Bruce, she's. I think she's a bit vain. If she wants to grow old gracefully, let them start to shine through because they'll start off as high life and then it'll just go naturally. And I'll tell you what, she'll be probably like Felix Gofield, a right silver fox by the time she lets them all grow out. There you go, you see. Emma, thank you very much. That's Emma uh, on the subject of of, uh, dyeing your hair, going grey, ageing gracefully. There There is a pressure on women, more so than men, um, to look younger than they actually are, isn't there? Men are allowed to grow older. And she said there, like Philip Schofield. Philip Schofield famously dyed his hair for a long time, disappeared for six months, came back white-haired, and said, well, you know what, I've been dyeing my hair. 08459 Ah, no, this is, uh, good morning, Ian Lee on Three Counties Radio. 08459 555 is the telephone number. Now, football clubs, big and small, need to do more to stamp out racism, and the lead has to come from the Football Association. That's the conclusion of an influential group of MPs which has been looking at how abusive behaviour is dealt with in the sport. The Culture, Sport and Media Committee say uh, reporting abusive behaviour and bringing prosecutions for racism also needs to improve. We're going to speak now to former Watford player and legend Ian Bolton. Good morning, Ian. Good morning. You don't dye your hair, do you? I used to. Yeah. There's not a lot left, let's be honest. No, all right, it's a bit harsh, but <laughs> the <laughs> truth. You did used to, though, did you? I did in my playing days, yeah, end of every season before we went away. Yeah. Uh, but that's when I had, I say, long hair and a moustache. Now I, I'm going the other way completely. 
Now, listen, let's, on a serious subject, let's talk about... Uh, you joined Watford in 1976, is that right? Indeed. How has racism changed in football? I'm, I'm hoping it's got... Th- th- there's less of it. Um, yeah, I think I'll, I'll, I'd be open to it as well. It, it, it seems to be more underground now, right. if that makes sense, yeah. than then. It was more in your face. Um, but playing-wise, we... It's easy for me to say, but I think I think it was shrugged off uh, after the game and used to go into the you know the, the players bar in, in and the seventies. Yeah, right. So, are you saying is this racism from the fans or from other football players? Um, I think it used to. T- to be honest, it used to happen in the game. Yeah, um, but I think it's also from the fans. Mm. Um, I think you mentioned about the FA. Mm. Um, I think clubs could do a lot more about it. I think they could make membership of all fans so that they could pick the individuals out and then punish, you know, the the, the ones that are doing it. Mm. Did you ever, I mean, and the, we have to put this in context for some of the younger listeners, the 70s were a different place, and not to excuse any of this behaviour at all, but it was a different world, completely from where we are now. Did you ever use any language in the 70s against players that maybe you look back now and think, oh, blimey, I can't believe I actually said that? Yes, yeah. if I'm honest. Uh, I'm not proud of it. Um, but basically, the, the, there's players playing then and there's playing, players playing now, not just black but also white, mm. that you know have a short fuse. Yeah. Um, so you would do it deliberately, if you want to call it that, um, whereby at the end of the day, if that person reacted in the way that you know they can do, mm. you'd get them sent off, basically. Mm. So at the end of the day, if you can get someone sent off, which sounds... You know, but that but that's the way it is. Mm. Competitive sport. I'm not judging you at all. I'm just asking you. So you would no. you would you would use uh, racial language to provoke a reaction from someone so that they get sent off. I'm not saying racial to someone black. Yeah. Um, but it also goes for players that were white. Because mm. um, it, it it does work, by, or it did work both ways. Yeah. Um, so as I said, you know, it, it's a competitive sport. Yeah. There's a term for it in cricket, isn't there? Is it hustling, or is it called no, something? No, it's called sledging. Sledging, that's it. Where you kind of just swipe, you, you walk past them and say, you, I slept with your wife last night. You know, it's that kind of, kind of behaviour. You walked on the pitch with Luther Blissett, didn't he? And he had some pretty horrible things. Yeah, I mean, I played with Luther Blissett, I played with John Barnes, yeah. um, and Luther and John have both had bananas thrown at them. Really? Absolutely. I think, I think if my memory serves me right, Luther defused it by picking it up and eating it. Well, good for him, well but, done, yeah. That's you know, incredible. It is. It is. There's, that, no, there's no excuse. Uh, that, that, I, I, I understand what you say as well about it. it's, it's kind of gone underground. I think in the 70s and the 80s, to a certain extent, racism, not just in football, everywhere, it was more explicit and that language was um, not acceptable, but it, people were more open about it. it. And now it's kind of, it's, it's, it's a little bit, people are doing it behind, you know, it's behind like, their it, hands it, and it, stuff. It and, seems to be under the surface, if yeah. that makes sense. It, it's difficult to explain. As a player... Did you ever get any abuse from the crowds? Not necessarily racist abuse, of course, but just any, you know... Football fans can be quite vocal when yes. they don't like someone. Yes. Or something they've done. Did you get, like, chants and stuff shouted at you? Yes, and not far away from where we are now. Right, really? Well, obviously, Luton yeah. were, were our... or are our nearest sort of neighbours, and yeah. the, the, the rivalry was immense. Yeah. Especially when Luton in them days were, were, were up with us, sort of, in the in the... Second division, first division, or Premiership, is it now? So, yeah, all the time. How do you cope with that? You're doing your job to the best of your ability. You have got th- <laughs> thousands of people saying something rude about your parentage. But how does how do you cope with that? Um, well, some people it, actually it can work for them. Yeah. So actually, the crowd having a pop at them 
can can wind them up so they perform better. Right. Okay. Other people, it can basically you know kill them. Um, so it can work both ways. Yeah. Did you ever have any quite? Because some of the chants are quite good. Did you ever have any amusing chants written about you? Not that I can. <laughs> Not that I can repeat on the radio, <laughs> certainly not in Luton, anyway. Oh, who, who writes those chants? Because some of them are like a, a poetry, you know, they're, they're wonderful things. I can't think of any clean ones at the moment, either. Listen, I have, uh, I've never been to a football match before. Uh, Justin Dealey, our reporter here, is taking me to see Luton at some point. I'm right. sort of regretting it a little bit. Right. Uh, you're pulling a face there as, I, as if to say you should regret it. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what sort of thing should I be expecting there? Is it, is it more of a family environment these days, football? It is, yeah. Um, and, and clubs obviously try and, and, and put that forward and Watford have been doing it for years uh, as, as a family club they yep. started off bringing the children um, in our days even when, when you know football uh, and crowds were a lot fiercer and there were probably a lot more mm. uh, swearing and everything that goes on but, but, but clubs try to put forward the family aspect of the game to obviously attract the young kids that will be the parents yeah. in the future um, so no go along with an open mind um, <laughs> have I picked the wrong team to go and see? No, you haven't. I'm, <laughs> I'm certainly not saying that when I'm sitting in Luton. No, you're not. <laughs> yeah, just wait till you get out of the border. Uh, and, and very quickly, just going back to the races, do you think that the players and, and uh, the support, supporters groups need to take this thing a bit more seriously and take some responsibility around the racism? Yes, I do. Yeah. It, it, it's, it's unacceptable. I think the FA could do a lot, going back to the initial beginning, I mm. think the FA could do a lot about it um, by bringing in more black managers, mm. Um, because I think there's a perception that there is a glass ceiling mm. there by a lot of people. There aren't any black managers. There's a couple, aren't there? Well, there's Chris Powell um, and there's Chris Hewton. Right. But I think if they could bring them in, let's say, into the England setup with the under 17s or under 19s or under 21s and sort of get them on that treadmill towards yeah. the top job, I think it would help. Ian, very nice to meet you, mate. Thank you so much for coming in. You're more than you welcome. got a nice day ahead of you? Anything nice planned? Um, no. <laughs> <laughs> Go back and watch Jeremy Kyle, then. <laughs> Thank you very much. This is Ian Bolton, uh, former Watford player. Uh, no, don't watch Jeremy Kyle. Listen to Jonathan Vernon-Smith, of course. That's, that's, that's exactly what I meant to say. Thank you very much for coming in. Uh, this is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio, 08459 455555. Call 08459 455555. 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Don't forget you can join Jonathan Vernon-Smith every weekday from nine o'clock on BBC Three Counties Radio uh, discussing the issues that matter to you. And generally being a little bit mucky as well. The, the, the thing about Jonathan Vernon-Smith is he's, he's very rude, but he does it on quite a high frequency, so not everyone can hear it. Uh, uh, always a cracking listen, always has a fantastic topic at nine, great guest at ten, uh, and uh, my favourite bit is the consumer hour from eleven o'clock. Just wonderful radio. Now, uh, this morning on the uh, on uh, the Ian Lee show, we are discussing lots of things, including racism in football. Should the police be armed? Uh, and also headaches. Bizarrely, now I suffer from headaches a lot, a lot. I get migraines, which are different from headaches. You people, when you say you've got a migraine, there are so many people who go, oh, he's got a bad headache. No, 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 no. A migraine is something completely different. To compare a migraine to a headache, it's, it's, it's they're incomparable. Well, apparently, the painkillers we take to cure headaches are causing us to have headaches. Huh? 
That's according to the National Institute for Health and Clinical Excellence. Nice. Uh, they say that we are trapped in a cycle of taking pain relief. We'll speak now to Manjit Matharu. He's a consultant neurologist at the National Hospital for Neurology in London. Good morning, Manjit. Good morning. This doesn't make sense. How can something that's stopping pain also cause it? Yes. Uh, it seems very paradoxical on the face of it. But this is what I would say. For patients who have the infrequent headache... Uh, taking common painkillers such as paracetamol, aspirin or anti-inflammatories such as ibuprofen is perfectly reasonable and for the vast majority of uh, those people these painkillers work very well. The problems seem to arise if these painkillers are taken on a very frequent basis. And that's sort of a situation where someone has got an escalation of headaches and is then taking increasing number of painkillers. Mm. It leads to a worsening of the headaches, which is in fact mm. induced by the painkillers. Yeah, it's an entity yeah. we know as medication overuse headache. And we have a very good idea in terms of how much is too much in terms of these painkillers. For the common painkillers such as paracetamol, aspirin and the anti-inflammatory drugs such as uh, ibuprofen, yes. if you take those painkillers on 15 or more days per month, Ooh. you run the risk of getting medication overuse headache. Ouch. For the more powerful painkillers such as triptans, which are used in migraine, and a group of drugs called opiates such as codeine, if you take them on 10 or more days per month, then you can develop this anti-medication overuse headache. Magic, I get headaches. I've had headaches ever since I was a child uh, and I, I suffer from migraines and I take the ibuprofen uh, type, the triptans don't really work for me, I, I, I take the ibuprofen type uh, medication pretty much every other day. Mm-hmm. That's bad, okay. is it? I mean, I'm, I'm sitting here now and I've got my, my sort of um, my, my forehead style tiger balm type thing that I'm applying to my head now. Yes. I, I, am I yes. doing bad things? Yes. If you're taking painkillers on, on close to 15 days per month, mm. then there is a reasonable chance that you have the sanity medication overuse headache. Oh. So the question is, how do we address this? What can we do? Yes. So... In fact, what uh, we do in the first instance is say to people who, ha- who are taking painkillers very frequently to stop them abruptly, oh. yeah, which does take nerves That's of scary. Skin. Yes, That's right. I uh, yeah, uh, fully understand that and appreciate that, and uh, uh, it does make a lot of patients very anxious. But this is how it pans out. If you stop your painkillers abruptly. Yeah. the majority of patients have a marked escalation of the headaches. But that escalation lasts for two to four weeks right. and is then followed by a marked improvement in the headaches. And it is worth investing that time. That's a month of headaches, Manjit. That's right. That's right. Uh, but, but the difficulty is that if you carry on the way you are, mm. then there's a very uh, high chance that what will happen over time is that you will get more and more headaches. Mm. And whereas now you're taking painkillers on about 15 days per month, it's just a matter of time before it's 20, 25, and before you know it might be even on a daily basis. So here's a window of opportunity. Stop your painkillers. Good chance that oh. after you've gone uh, cold turkey for a month or so, there'll be an improvement. Imagine However, you- there is one other thing that is worth uh, pointing on. out. If you do have an escalation in the frequency of your headaches yeah. and you haven't yet got to the kind of frequencies I'm talking to, 10 to 15 days per month, yes. there are a group of drugs called preventative treatments which reduce the frequency of headaches, which can be very helpful and can calm down the headaches. Similarly, if you have stopped your painkillers but you still find that you're having headaches on a very frequent basis, uh, you can still go along to your general practitioners and ask to be started on these preventative treatments. My, my neurologist, Liz is just turning into talking about me now, which is fine. My neurologist has suggested I go on beta blockers, that that might help. That worries yes. me a little bit. Um, 
So what we have done as part of the NICE guidance is in fact identified yeah, three drugs that have been shown to be yeah. uh, quite effective in reducing the frequency of headaches for patients with migraine. Yeah. There's a drug called toparamate. Yeah. Beta blockers are certainly one of uh, the drugs. And uh, there's a drug called gabapentin. And I think it's reasonable to uh, have a discussion with either okay. your general practitioner or your neurologist uh, uh, in terms of actually considering starting one of these drugs. And very quickly, Magic, because I'm aware that this is all now about me, and you, please feel free to send your bill to BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, what do you think about these these sort of slightly alternative methods of uh, treating migraines? Botox, and there's also a migraine, like a, a firing a, a, a huge magnetic pulse into the head. Do, do you think those are effective at all? Yes. So, <clears throat> as part of the NICE guidance, we looked at, uh, 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 the, in terms of the alternative treatments, we looked at acupuncture. Right. And suddenly, uh, it seems that uh, acupuncture is beneficial in both tension-type headache and migraine. And in fact, part of the recommendation is that that is something that should be done. Okay, I shall look at Manjit. Thank you very much. And uh, the, please do send your bill to me and uh, we, I will look at it and scan it and, and uh, quickly shred it. 08459 455 555. Do you suffer from headaches? I suffer from them terribly to the point now where I can sort of, if I've just got a headache, I can pretty much function and get on with it. I'd rather go and lie down in a really cold bath. Uh, that's my treatment, but I can I can pretty much get on with it and function. A migraine, oh man, I'm out I'm out for the day, two days probably. Uh, do you suffer from them? The thought of giving up pain relief and having headaches for a month, I don't think so. I don't know if I could be brave enough to do that. Oh eight four five nine four double five five double five. Uh, talking about football, Ian, I hate football, but go anyway. It's the same as watching wrestling, which I love. It's about the atmosphere. Ross in Bedford, you hate football, but you go anyway. That makes no sense whatsoever. Paul G tells me, uh, rugby is a competitive game, yet there isn't the same level of vile behaviour you see at football matches. What does that tell you? Well, uh, there's a yes, it's a slightly different culture, isn't it? I suppose. I'm, I'm not going to a rugby match before you get too excited uh, about that. 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. You can text 81333. Start your text 3CR. We are asking uh, about uh, should the police be armed? Would you uh, grow old gracefully? And also, this is a fascinating story. There has been a spate of distraction thefts in Harpenden in Hertfordshire, so be on your guard. Only this weekend, a disabled woman was eating at the Slug and Lettuce pub in the town with her family when her phone was snatched by two men who'd been hassling her to buy greeting cards from her, uh, from them. As the lady tried to get rid of them, they took her mobile. I've seen someone try and do this uh, scam I was in um, a, a restaurant in London, and the way they do it is two people come in, and they, they were selling postcards, and they come up to the table, and they kind of show these postcards, and they put them over the things that are on your table, and then they kind of pick up your phone and, and, and sneak out with it. So be on your guard. Well, our reporter, Sophie Solaria, has been in Harpenden, asking people about their recent experiences of distraction theft from Harpenden. My mum answered the door to a guy who, uh, I think he was delivering um, some leafleting or he was doing a survey or something. Well, my mum needed something in the kitchen to answer his question or his query. So she went into the kitchen. She wasn't in view of the door. When she came back, the guy was gone. She hadn't noticed anything different at the time, but later on she wondered where her phone had gone. She realised she had left it on the stairs and uh, it became clear that the guy had uh, come into the hall, picked up the phone and then, uh, and then ran off. Garden centre sitting in the restaurant virtually empty table beside us someone comes and sits down bit suspicious why so close in a huge empty space 
didn't think anything of it. A couple of hours later, went to get the wallet out of the handbag, wallet gone. Simple as that. In a place like Carpenden, it's a nice affluent area. You don't expect this to happen, do you? No, but obviously it does, and it's a good place because people are assumed to be relatively well off, therefore cards will have money on them. How has this affected your behaviour in the future? We watch what's going on around you more closely and more intensely. It was in Marks and Spencers, and she was leaning across the counter trying to buy something, and she couldn't quite see the sizes. And a lady got very close to her and was sort of pushing up against her, acted as if she was trying to help help with the sizes and hope she realised later that she was obviously getting close and trying to help her because she wanted her purse. She stole her wallet? Yeah, she stole her purse, which also had really important wedding rings in from her grandparents, so really devastating because she thought she was keeping them safe by carrying them with her. How old was your grandmother? She must have been about 75. So they targeted an old lady? Yeah, targeted her, pushed against her, acted like they were helping. How did she get over a trauma like that? <laughs> Pretty devastated, really. Money you can replace, but those rings, she couldn't. Wow. Well, when Sophie said she was going to go out and um, try and find some people, I didn't know she would get that many people with such amazing stories. I'm shocked. A spokesman for the Slug and Lettuce uh, in Harpenden have told BBC Three Counties Radio, we're sorry that our customer lost her phone in our premises as we have an extremely low level of petty theft within the bar. Unfortunately, incidents such as this are now not uncommon across the town. And as a result, we're now warning our customers to keep their belongings with them at all times. The theft was immediately reported to the police who are now investigating the matter. Has this happened to you? Turns out it's more common than I thought. Have you been pickpocketed, had a distraction crime, someone comes up to try and ask for directions and you check your pocket and your phone's gone? Your wallet's been nicked? Someone's had your purse? Be really interested to hear your stories. 08459 455 555. I once, and this is, this is absolutely true, uh, broke into someone's house and helped someone steal or loads of their computer equipment. True story. It was for a television programme. You know that real hustle they do? where it's those um, two guys and that girl and they kind of show you how cons and, and tricks are done. They did a, a celebrity one and obviously they couldn't get any celebrities so they got me to go and help them. Uh, and the scam was, basically they said to me, if you're wearing a fluorescent jacket, you can get away with pretty much anything. And so the scam was, me and the two guys had the fluorescent jackets, we pulled up in a van, knocked on this woman's door and I had to do all the talking. Uh, and I said, we're from the, the waterboard... We've had uh, reports that there are block pipes. We need to come and check your water. I sent the two lads into the kitchen while I took the woman upstairs to her bathroom. It's amazing that I got away with this. And I was talking rubbish to her while the two guys were downstairs taking her Xbox, laptop, uh, I need to say Walkman, iPhones, all of that stuff. And then I had to distract her. Then they called me and I said, all right, love, listen, we're going to run some dye through the water. Can you just give us a shout when you see the dye coming through? I ran downstairs, jumped in the van and drove off. Now, obviously... We went back and said, you've been on TV. Thank you very much for being a good sport. How do you feel? But it's so easy to trick people. And doing that really opened my eyes to how vulnerable we all are. It's incredible. If you've got any stories uh, about being tricked or conned or lied to... (laughs) 
7.45 Wednesday, the 19th of September. These are your headlines on BBC Three Counties Radio. A man suspected of murdering two female police officers in Greater Manchester is being questioned by detectives. A St Albans man has been jailed for a year after a single punch left a teenager with serious brain injuries. In sport, Watford legend Ian Bolton is backing calls for the Football Association to take a tougher stance against racism in football and your weather for beds, hearts and bucks. Today it's going to be dry with decent sunny spells, top temperature of around 15 degrees. Coming up, we're talking about racism in football this morning. Shortly we'll get the view of the chair of the Football Supporters Federation on the issue. And you can give us a call about this or anything else we're talking about. Text 81333, start your text 3CR, or give us a call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. Jonathan Vernon-Smith. I don't know what they said because I never got caught, never. And I also used to push them in a fish pond and they used to always get shoved in there as well as I walked past. My God, you were horrible. Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Weekday mornings from nine on BBC Three Counties Radio. (laughs) I just love the disco. Oh my gosh, you were horrible. (laughs) Jonathan is, is so disgusted by so many things, and it's always wonderful to uh, have a little listen. Jonathan Vernon Smith on at nine o'clock. He'll be in here in about half an hour, um, uh, probably saying something utterly filthy and, and mucky and something terrible at the same time. Oh uh, eight four five nine four double five five double five is the telephone number if you want to give us a call. Uh, football clubs, big and small, need to do more to stamp out racism, uh, and the lead has to come from the Football Association. That's the conclusion of an influ- influential group of MPs which has been looking at how abusive behaviour is de- dealt with uh, in the sport. The Culture, Sport and Media Committee says reporting abusive behaviour and bringing prosecutions for racism also needs to improve. Earlier on, I spoke to former Watford player and all-round legend Ian Bolton. The 70s were a different place, and not to excuse any of this behaviour at all, but it was a different world, completely from where we are now. Did you ever use any language in the 70s against players that maybe you look back now and think, oh, blimey, I can't believe I actually said that? Yes, yeah. if I'm honest. Uh, I'm not proud of it. Um, but basically, the, the, there's players playing then and there's playing, players playing now, not just black, but also white, mm. that you know have a short fuse. Yeah. Um, so you would do it deliberately, if you want to call it that, um, whereby at the end of the day, if that person reacted in the way that you know they can do, mm. you'd get them sent off, basically. Mm. So at the end of the day, if you can get someone sent off, which sounds, you know, but, that, but that's the way it is, mm. competitive sport. I'm not judging you at all, I'm just asking you. So you would, no. you would, you would use uh, racial language to provoke a reaction from someone so that they get sent off? I'm not saying racial to someone black, yeah. um, but it also goes for players that were white, because mm. um, it, wor- it, it does work, by- or it did work both ways. Yeah. Well, there we go. That's uh, Ian Bolton being very honest and very open. We're going to put that clip out as an audio boo later on as well. I'm joined now by Therese Co- uh, Coffey, who is a member of the Culture, Media and Sport Committee, which produced the report. Good morning, Therese. Good morning. What are the main findings of the report? Well, we found that a lot has happened in football to tackle this issue, but there's no room for complacency. Recent high-profile incidents show that kind of that lazy element of referring to people in a racially prejudiced way is still prevalent, and we want to see better stewarding and also assessing the effectiveness of education. What action do you think is going to be taken after this report? Well, the FA has welcomed the report, and what I do hope is that 
the independent assessment of the education programs happens i think also what's very clear is that within the grassroots games we need to understand uh, or rather the fa does that what is happening in terms of racially motivated kind of abuse it was interesting to hear that clip just now mm. because paul elliott one of the people who gave evidence um said he was uh, sent off for basically punching somebody who had racially abused him on the pitch mm. and he was cross with himself and it never happened again but um a lot of that has gone but some recent high profile incidents show it hasn't gone away completely I'm going to generalise ever so slightly here, but there are a lot of football players who earn a lot of money and aren't that bright. Can we ever change their attitudes? Well, I think attitudes have generally changed in society, and it's critical that we don't give excuses. I mean, just to say that, it's to, again, it's a caricature to say football players aren't particularly bright. Um, everybody knows that to... Uh, do a racial slur is wrong mm. and just because uh, you're on the pitch or in a football game or indeed even outside that it's acceptable i mean people from luton will know more than anyone else about aspects of the edl trying to use football fans as a way to propagate their uh, their their terrible active ways and we need to ensure that that is simply not acceptable and I know Luton Town has done a lot to try and stop that, and I'm sure communities come together to try and stop football becoming that kind of platform for that kind of activity. Therese, listen, thank you very much uh, for your time this morning. Really interesting to talk to you. It's Therese Kofi, who's a member of the Culture, Media and Sport Committee, uh, which rep uh, produced the report uh, into racism in football. Now... Oh, just did a, the popping sound with my lips. I wasn't expecting that to come out. <laughs> I made myself giggle, which doesn't happen very often, but I like it when I do. Now, Fiona Bruce has admitted to dyeing her hair to cover up the grey. She says that going grey is bad for women on TV. But part of me feels this is wrong. Shouldn't we all just grow old gracefully? We can talk now to Elizabeth Hamilton. She's from the Reds, Red Hats Society in Milton Keynes. It's a club dedicated to helping women to grow old disgracefully. Good morning, Elizabeth. Good morning to you. Uh, how do you feel about hair dye, Botox, nips and tucks? I think it's up to the individual. If it makes them feel good, so be it. We have one life to live, and we have got to live it to the full and enjoy it. And we've got to embrace old age. We will have a long old age, and we must make that life as good as possible for ourselves. And my members do. And uh, we, stimulate, we stimulate women, we give, extend their life experiences, and we value relationships. As you grow old, the most important thing is relationships and friendship and feeling valued. So I think that some women do the hair dyeing and the Botoxing uh, perhaps because they are uncertain about who they are mm. as they grow old and they want to keep their youth. Um, my ladies generally embrace the fact that they're growing old. They're older, they're wiser. They've had the hurts, the pains, the loves, the experience and the joys of being a woman. It's Elizabeth, a wonderful thing to be a woman. It, I, I, so I've been told. It's also not bad being a bloke. But do you think that there's an unfair pressure on women on TV? It does seem a little bit one-sided that yeah it's all right for blokes to to have white hair and look older but girls they have to keep looking like girls that they're not allowed to grow up on tv 
Ah uh, well, I I I don't I don't agree. I think I do think that older men can look a lot better as they grow older. My daughters say that my husband looked like a nerd when I married him. I can tell you now he's white haired, and I think he's very handsome. Oh, oh I do. Oh, <laughs> but 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 I I I don't think we can ward off. Anadomini. I don't think we can do it, but if it makes you feel better, a little bit of lipstick, you know, makes every girl feel more girlish. And if they want to have their hair dyed, why not? I see no harm in it, as long as it isn't uh, in any way hindering their health. Let them do it. It's who we are. It's individuality, and that has to be embraced. I have to ask you these two questions from a journalistic point of view, so please don't be offended. First one, how old are you? Second one, what do you uh, look like? I am fat. I, I am very fat. <laughs> and I am just coming up to my 70th birthday. <laughs> and I am having such a great time. The Red Hat Society does such a lot for ladies. Yeah. Uh, uh, we are the thoroughly modern millies of Milton Keynes. We embrace modernism. What do you do we in the Red Hat Society, then? Ah, uh, well, we do lots Do you meet, of get together and do Beetle Drives and things? No, we have a very varied diary. Um, my ladies have been to France, a chateau in France, oh. for, a, for, a, for a lunch. We've had Bollywood dancing lessons. We go kite flying to say goodbye to winter on the Dunstable Downs. We've been to a Sikh temple for lunch with the ladies who showed us their underwear. We asked right. very, very difficult questions of them and they gave us honest answers. Yeah. We were really impressed with these women. We had some ladies come over and show us how to put on a sari and we had our, hen, our hands henna dyed. We meet for meals, we meet for coffee mornings, we meet in each other's houses, we go to the opera, we go to the theatre, we go out. Alright, stop showing but, off, Elizabeth. But for goodness sakes, this is the busiest social oh, diary I, I I've ever heard. I am intensely proud of my girls because it is all done by ourselves. There's you know, nobody you know but what? us that does it. I'm go- can I come and join you one day? You will be very welcome, but you have to wear yellow socks. Sorry? We only allow fellows around us when they wear mm. yellow socks and we wear red hats. Is this, is this a fetish because or something? It's, it's from... We are spawned from the poem, When I am an old woman, I will wear purple with a red hat that doesn't suit me and doesn't go. It's the largest women's friendship group in the world. You are utterly bonkers, and I think I've fallen a little bit in love with you. Oh, I'm... that's all right. You, I, I mean, I don't mind. I don't mind the fellas falling at my feet. <laughs> I'm going to get some yellow socks, and I'm going to come over in a few weeks. We'll sort something out, and I'll, I'll hang out with you a lot and see what you get up to. And I'll make sure you're up to, you know, you're not doing anything oh, naughty. Oh, well, we'll be up to some kind of nonsense. Elizabeth? So any, anybody who wants to join us, you'd be very welcome to join the Red Hat Society, the Thoroughly Modern Millies of Milton Keynes, and we embrace new ladies all the time to join us, and they say we change their lives. <laughs> You're a delightful fruitcake, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for coming on. I am totally going to go and hang out with them in a few weeks. They sound, as long as there's food involved, they sound like fun, don't they? Oh, that's a wonderful. Elizabeth Hamilton there. Thank you, Elizabeth. You've totally cheered me up. We'll sort that out. Ah, we need more things like that, where people going and doing stuff, not just because they're old, or just people just hanging out and doing stuff. 
Ah, we're talking about uh, the crime and um, the, the, that kind of sneaky crime. We're distraction theft. That's the, f- the phrase, not sneaky crime. Distraction theft. <laughs> oh, dearie me, it's one of those days. Can I go home early? Jonathan, if you're upstairs and you fancy starting your show an hour early, you're more than welcome to. I seem to be falling apart. Uh, Phil has texted him. On the subject of theft, I work in retail, and the number of people who leave their stuff unattended is still surprising, often leaving bags wide open. You do see that, don't you, in bars and and restaurants and things. People leaving their bags open with their phones sticking out. The most surprising bit is when you try to help by pointing out that they might get their stuff taken, some people tell you to mind your own business. Really? I wouldn't bother telling them, to be honest, really. Not being a victim of theft is also about not being naive and taking responsibility for your possessions and your security. That's from Phil. Well, you're, you're right. There is a certain amount of common sense. And I am guilty of when I go to... Um, I don't go to bars very often these days. But when I go out to restaurants and things like that, I do leave my phone on the table. Where was I? I was, I was somewhere the other day and I left my phone on the table and went to another table. And even I thought, that's a bit stupid. It's a little bit stupid. It's the old, it's the iPhone 3. New one coming out on Friday. So fingers crossed. Uh, 08459 455 555 is the telephone number. You can give us a call if you've been affected by distraction theft. If someone's come up and done a little bit of a pickpocket on you, or, you know, you've just been in town and you've got home and gone, where, where on earth is my wallet? We're also asking, should the police be armed? This is after this tragic story of the uh, two female police officers being sh- uh, attacked and killed in Manchester. And why I don't want to dwell on that story specifically. Uh, I do want to know, should the police be armed? Lots of calls on this so far. 08459 455 555. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Another hour of the show, unless Jonathan takes my invitation to start his show an hour early, although he's he's not come down yet. Let's give that the thumbs up. More of your calls after the latest news and sport with Catherine Boyle. Thank you, Catherine. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. It's three minutes past eight. It's Wednesday, something like the 19th of September. How is that even possible? This is Ian Lee, BBC Three Counties, here until nine o'clock. Lots to talk about. Growing old gracefully, should women on TV feel pressured to dye their hair and change their appearance? Jonathan Vernon-Smith will pop in to say hello and something vulgar just before we go on air, Probably. And talking more about that police shooting uh, incident that took place in Manchester, leaving two police officers dead. We're asking in the last hour of the show, should the police be armed? You can text 81333, start your text 3CR, or give us a call 08459 455 555. BBC Three Counties Radio. I should you say that, um, do stick around in the daytime because uh, drive time from three with, uh, with Roberto, it's the best three county stories from local people, local news as it happens. And uh, from six, the drive time round tables. And Wednesday night from six, family and lifestyle. It's always worth a, a, a listen. Drive time from three with Roberto. Now, there's never been a killing like it in this country. Two female police officers responding to a bogus emergency call in Greater Manchester yesterday were shot dead moments after leaving their vehicle. The Prime Minister described the shooting of 23-year-old PC Nicola Hughes and 32-year-old PC Fiona Bone as despicable act as a sorry despicable act of pure evil. I've been asking, should all our police be armed? 
You can have your say on that by calling 08459 455 555. Our reporter Justin Dealey has been out on the street to see what you think. Yes, the uh, police officers, uh, they need to protect themselves and the public as well. They need an arm with the guns, walking with the guns. And you firmly believe in this country the law is, is simply too soft, don't you? Very soft. Uh, the law is very soft. Uh, it should bring death penalty. No excuse. Not, not generally, because I think it would encourage more other people to carry firearms. Yeah, I think that's what would happen. You've seen it in America. No, I don't think so. It, it, we ain't going to change the areas that the gunmen are from, is it? Manchester, Liverpool, London, ain't going to change anything. No, no. Not personally, you know. The bobbies, normal bobbies, day in day job, but some, yeah, I agree with that, you know, they got to. I mean, you're saying that everyday bobbies shouldn't be armed. Uh, tell us why you believe that. To me, it's, it's not right, you know. Personally, I don't think they should be armed. Yeah, could, it, could it effectively bring more guns onto the street because the criminals know that the police are carrying guns? Armed, if they're armed, they could be armed themselves, you know. You know, to turn them that way, yeah. Well, isn't it interesting? Most of the calls we've had, and most of the people that uh, Justin spoke to there, are against arming the police. Uh, and I thought there'll be more. I, I, I really thought there'd be more people saying that we should. It's, it's, it's interesting to get your opinions. And you can have your say on this this morning. 08459 455 555. But back to the story that's prompted this. Uh, and Simon Reid is the National Police Federation's vice chairman. And he's a Bedfordshire police officer. Good morning, Simon. Yeah, good morning. Uh, really sad day for the police, isn't it? Yeah, yes, it, it, it is. And it, it's not just for the police. I think it's for our society. It's a sad day that two uh, young officers were were killed in that way so i think everyone feels the pain around this not just the police but uh, members of communities up and down the country feel the pain too the news i think came out around about 11 o'clock uh, yesterday morning and it was shocking when it came out as a police officer how did you feel well you you, you feel sick uh, to pit your stomach around it because uh, you have all been in those circumstances where quite an innocent routine call uh, can end in such tragedy and uh, we are part of a big police family it has been said over the last day it is like that and, and when, when we hear and see something like this every police officer in the country feels about around that because uh, they, they could have been someone we could have been working with well you mentioned that you know that you could have been working with of course bedfordshire uh, uh, police service this will bring memories of uh, pc john henry who was stabbed to death in luton in 2007 mm-hmm. How does a force get over losing, you know, how will they be reacting in Manchester now, do you think? How will they be pulling together and helping each other through this? Well, as uh, I saw a colleague in, in Manchester say to the, today, that there is no script for any of this. So they, they will support each other. Uh, they still have to get on with the job of policing. So it will take time. Uh, they are professionals. Uh, they have each other uh, and they will have some professional help. But uh, as I said, there is no script and it will be very difficult for a lot of the officers up there to, to cope in, in, in the immediate uh, time around this. Is, I'm going to use the word complacency and I don't mean it in a rude way. Is there ever a sense of complacency when the uh, police are responding to what seems like a normal run-of-the-mill burglary, you know, that, that someone is requesting help? Or are police constantly on their guard that actually there could be something more sinister behind what they're approaching? We do have a, a, a number of systems in place, so when we receive a call, uh, we should be able to check the address for previous calls or any information about the occupants there. Uh, officers attending address will also make an assessment of what they're going to, but you, you're quite right, there will be uh, an element that uh, 
it's just a routine call because we're, we're not geared up to think every time we turn up mm. to a routine incident we're likely to face death so yes i mean it's it's, it's human behavior to think this is just a routine call if you've got no other information to get to to the contrary simon uh, where do you stand on on police all police being armed well it, it, that's uh, a very personal view uh, the majority of police officers in a survey we, we did uh, before have said they don't want to be armed. Mm. They would like to see more uh, dedicated armed officers being available. Uh, and since then, we've seen the rollout of uh, in- increased use of the taser equipment around the country. Mm. Uh, so we've we've seen additional protective equipment. But uh, personally, I wouldn't I wouldn't wish to have been armed. And I say the majority of police officers wouldn't. They yeah, have sufficient protective equipment yeah. for the usual routine. Uh, work they do they have body armor they have a baton they have incapacitant spray uh, and they have training in how to defend themselves um but you'll you'll never really be able to um plan for the events mm. of yesterday i always find it amazing when you see the amount of stuff that coppers have to carry about them i always find it amazing you can even walk along the street let alone run after crooks it seems incredible listen uh, simon thank you so much for coming on and uh, as i said to all the other guests we've had maybe at some point we can talk about happier things at some point indeed thank, thank you simon uh simon reed national police federation's vice chairman and a bedfordshire police officer they are weighed down these police men and women aren't they they've got the the stab vests they've got the um and he said the nunchuckers i don't mean the nunchuckers i mean the handcuffs they don't carry nunchuckers these days uh the, the handcuffs they've got the spray all of these things the mobile phones the radios how can you even walk down the street very sad story but what do you think should the police be armed oh eight four five nine four double five five double five ross is in bedford ross what's your take on this hiya uh, it's good to speak to you again we've got you addicted to this show now thank you ross i'm i'm, I'm um, glad <laughs> um i think you know with i've worked in nightclubs and security and stuff um uh, and still do and i and retail and i think the police nowadays just need some extra protection so use of a taser just as a preventive measure just to say it's there mm. you know um same as the spray it's there and they you know most people moment they know they've got it don't bother um you know so with the spray they say oh, i'm gonna use the spray a lot of people calm straight down don't use it the same with taser uh you know you see it on all the cliches they they say i'm going to stun you and they suddenly back off and the you know the guns go down there um, are some people though that would say that perhaps some of the police um are, are, would use this inappropriately I mean, we've got the story about the the, the newspaper vendor that yeah. was killed in the the, the g20 riots yeah I by mean, an I'm, over-enthusiastic police officer to put it yeah. politely i mean i have to say i'm i'm not necessarily a fan of the police myself but uh, you know, they have a right to protect themselves and the public, that's their job. Um, you know, there are ones out there, they're, they're the same as everyone else, they're good people in jobs and bad jobs, you know, people. Mm. Uh, the same as retail security, there's bad people in that, as bad managers, there's bad security officers, but there's equally just as many good ones, and I don't think every single one to be penalised just for one bad you know, cop. Ross, listen, thank you very much, Ross in Bedford, who is, has now become addicted to the show, which I, I think that's got to be a good thing. Ross, spread the word, for goodness sakes. Uh, talking about um, distraction crimes and what you can do to prevent them, Lynn has uh, sent a text in, which, I do this, I've done this, when travelling by train, I've often seen men go to the loo whilst leaving their phone and laptop on the table. I've done that, not necessarily the phone, I'll take the phone with me, but I've left my laptop on a train. I guess it's because it's a crowded carriage and you sort of think, well, people will have seen me walk away from this. They're, no one's going to pick this up, are they? Is that me being really stupid and naive? 
I think it might be. The thing is, if you want to go to the loo on the train, you're not going to cl- close everything down, save everything, close everything down, put it back in the bag, zip it up, take it to the toilet, do your business, won't go into detail there, come back, then get everything back. It, it's such a faff, isn't it? For two minutes, you'd think it would be all right, wouldn't you? I think maybe I'm being a little bit stupid there. It's 8.15, it's Wednesday the 19th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Greater Manchester Police are continuing to question a man about the deaths of two of their colleagues in a gun and grenade attack yesterday. A 25-year-old student's been found guilty of assaulting uh, in a St Albans car park after subjecting his girlfriend to a massive campaign of possessive and obsessive behaviour. In football, England's women take on Croatia at Walsall tonight in their final qualifying match for Euro 2013. We'll have a full weather bulletin shortly with Dan Holly. And coming up, Gary Barlow is to sing on a revamp version of the hugely successful The War of the Worlds. The chances of anything coming from Mars are a million to one. But still they come. <laughs> Fingers crossed. We'll speak to Jeff Wayne shortly. I started it, regretted starting it, but had to see it through to its conclusion. Hopefully we'll speak to Jeff Wayne shortly, who wrote the musical version of War of the Worlds. BBC Three Counties Radio. He's here with the old twist and flick of the <laughs> neck. It's Jonathan <laughs> Vernon Smith. That's, I find that really uh, uh, creepy, if I'm honest. Well, I can't help it. It's, like it's like a twitch. None of the headphones work in here. What? <laughs> <laughs> why, do you, why do you need headphones on? We're just having a chat. Well, I'm a professional radio pronunciator, you see, so... <laughs> When, you, when you're one of those, you have to have some headphones, don't you? Nice uh, uh, matching... Uh, oh, God, here we go no, again. No, I'm, I'm it's being... like coming in and seeing Gokwan. I'm not asking you to take your clothes off. <laughs> Although, if you could... No, matching, um, like, a sort of golf vest and a sweater. I would only have... I would never use the word sweater. A golf vest? Oh, yes. <laughs> this is a Lacoste polo. I would never use the word sweater, apart from anyone, apart from you. You, would wear, you wouldn't wear a jumper. You'd wear a sweater. Or possibly a jersey. Thanks. Is this a compliment, or are you just being generally insulting? No, I'm, I'm, being, I'm playing a nice compliment. Let's see your trousers. What trousers have we got on today? <laughs> <laughs> Jeans! It matches today! It matches! <laughs> Jonathan Bernard-Smith is parading around the studio. Young man at CNA. <laughs> <laughs> I was, I, was, I was so upset when they closed CNA. Were you? Yeah, I was. I wasn't. Oh. Coming up on the big phone in this morning from nine, would you feel safer if all police officers carried a gun? Continuing your discussion you're having this morning, very yes. interesting it is too. The killing of two female police officers in Greater Manchester has reignited the debate on whether police should be routinely armed. Constables Fiona Bone, who was 32, and 23-year-old Nicola Hughes were killed when they responded to a false report of a burglary in Mottram. Officers are continuing to question a man about their deaths. Well, there are arguments for and against all police carrying a firearm, and I want to hear your view from Nine. I noticed this morning, Mm. I think if we were to take a a poll on the responses you're getting, I would say most people are saying, no, arming the police would be a very bad idea. There are a few that are definitely for it and think it's great, but yes, most of them, and I'm surprised by that. I thought it'd be a little bit different. Most of them are saying, no, it's, it's, it's pretty good as it is. I wonder why. From Nine, I want to know whether having police out there with 
with guns on them, would it make you feel safer if you saw a police officer in your town centre and they had a gun at the side of them? Would you feel safer? Would you feel that they were doing their job any better? That our streets were less likely to be filled with criminals? I'd like your views from Nine. Would you feel safer if all police officers carried a gun? 08459 555555. We've had some really interesting calls on this, and I know you will. We had a guy in the first hour, I think it may have been Dave, I'm not sure if I've forgotten the name wrong, I apologise, who said that we should all be armed, that everyone should have guns, and he said that he knew five people who had guns illegally for their own protection. Really? Yeah, I know, and I found that I'm always, I'm so naive around guns, and I'm always a bit shocked, but it, it would be interesting to find out how many people have got guns for their own protection. It's more than we think. Have you ever shot a gun? No, I've not, and I would love to. I'm being honest when I say that. I don't mean in an aggressive... It's very difficult. Have you done one? Have you shot one? Yes. It nearly blew me backwards onto my, uh, onto, onto my backside, because I went clay pigeon shooting, and uh, they give you this great big gun... And you have to hold it like this, and as you fire, it, it, ooh, it goes it's right a back. Real co- re- recoil. Yeah. Uh, and uh, uh, there are places in America, when I've been to America, um, you, there are places you can go and you can hire all different kinds of guns, machine guns. It's a, it's a straight. I don't want that culture over here. No. It's a strange place. But yes, it, being serious, there is a, a part of me that would like to know what it feels like to fire a gun. Not in anger or anything like that, but it, it would... Uh, anyway, I look forward I to listening I'm, to your topic and, and more stories of being blown off onto your backside. So... <laughs> Thank you, Jonathan. Oh, wait. Clay pigeon shooting. Shall we go? Shall we? Well, you agreed earlier to go with Justin to the football. I feel he bullied me slightly into that. Let's go clay pigeon shooting. Can we? Yes. I'd love to. Do you do it regularly? No. Excellent. (laughs) Jonathan Vernon-Smith will be on at nine o'clock. I've agreed to all these things I'm doing. I'm meeting some old women. I'm going to football with Justin. Clay pigeon shooting with Jonathan. I don't like people. This is Ian Lee on BBC Three Counties Radio. Yes. Do you remember the hugely successful The War of the Worlds musical album? It was massive. And it keeps coming back every few years, and it's, 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 it's just constantly massive. Well, Gary Barlow is to sing on a revamped version, performing two of its most famous songs, Forever Autumn and The Eve of War. And we're very lucky, because the man, nay, the legend behind it, Jeff Wayne, is on the line now. Good morning, Jeff. Ian, good morning to you. It's lovely to talk to you. Thank you. Uh, this is very exciting. This this is the gift that keeps on giving. What, what's happening <laughs> with War of the Worlds now? Well, it's, uh, this is under the name of the new generation, Ian, in that I've been working on it just under two years. Uh, and it's kept coming back to me from various people from the record company, and particularly when we started touring uh, in 2006 in arenas around the UK, around Europe, Australia, New Zealand, about how I could extend the story and and always being asked, well, if I was composing and producing this work in today's terms, what would I be doing to it musically? And over the years, I kept sort of thinking about it, and uh, the starting point was that there's a lot of rich material that my original script from 1978 that not all of it made it onto the original album that I, I revisited. And uh, it made me realize that um, there was a lot of good material to expand. So that really was the seed of how it started. And from that point on, as I said, almost two years ago, um, the uh, album grew into a new recording with uh, all new guest artists uh, and 
a highly redeveloped soundtrack. It's still compositions that people will know if they oh, know they, the they, album. fantastic songs. You know, Jeff, Jeff it's quite noisy that you're in the studio now, aren't you, working on this? What we're doing is, uh, the, the album is completed. Uh, it's all ready to, to be released in November. But uh, what we're now doing is, because The War of the Worlds is a continuous play recording, it's not uh, a series of cuts, mm. uh, the next process that we're doing is slicing it all up into single-length, uh, radio-friendly, so to speak, yeah. uh, versions with the first two singles uh, being ready for release, and then a couple of others for next year. So it's just part of the process of, of an album coming out. How do you get some... Gary Barlow's on it. How do you get someone like Gary... Oh, you're right. <laughs> Look, it's all Sorry, that's, yeah, that's somebody at uh, the back door here about to deliver a piece of equipment. Do you, okay. need, to go, do you need to go and get it? No, no. One of the guys have got it. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. Now, this is this is how busy you are. How did you get someone like Gary Barlow on there? Do you just phone him up and say, "All right, Gary, it's Jeff. Can you come and be on my album?" Uh, no, it wasn't quite that way. But it was through emails that uh, I had his email address. It, it the way that uh, I knew that Gary was familiar and did like the War of the Worlds was uh, in 2010, uh, which was the last time we toured. Mm. Although we're about to start again in November, uh, Jason Donovan was in our production, and he oh, mentioned the lovely Jason Donovan. He's a lovely Isn't he a nice man. Bloke? Yes, indeed. And uh, he mentioned that Gary was very familiar and a fan of the album, and it really led from that starting point to where I emailed Gary uh, about a year and a, and a quarter ago and told him about what I was doing about this new generation recording uh, with all new guest artists, not just Gary. Uh, Liam Neeson has taken over the role from uh, Richard Burton, the one acting role, and uh, I got an immediate response from Gary, but he said, unfortunately, he wasn't available. He was touring with Take That. He was uh, about to go into X Factor, and he had just had a, a whole range of things that knocked him out of the box in terms mm. of considering it, but jump forward about a year, and instead of the album, which was originally scheduled to come out this past June, for a range of reasons, it was put back to where it now is coming out, which is this November, and I thought, well, gosh, Gary was the first person that I was just hoping he could take on this role, and we hadn't uh, cast it yet, and in fact, it sort of uh, stopped trying, and thought, do this is the last thing. Uh, and I emailed him again, and I got a, an email back within minutes saying, "Count me in, let's do it." <laughs> so uh, you know that Wonderful. old thing of if, you know if, if at first you don't succeed, um, just keep bugging them. Yeah, that's it. And uh, we wound up having lunch just to, to get to know each other and talk about how it might all come together when the dates were uh, available from his point of view. And I think it couldn't have been more than about three or four weeks later that we were in my Wonderful. studio uh, for three days, uh, very enjoyably uh, working together. Jeff, you live in Hertfordshire now, is that true? I've been living in Shenley and Hearts for about 29 years. Why did you move there? Well, um, when I moved to, to where we are now, um, my wife and I were living in London. We had two little girls. Uh, we had a lovely house, but we didn't have a stitch of, of garden, and so mm. we wanted to sort of uh, provide them with some greenery and, uh, in fact, also to have my own studio rather than at that point I had to go to commercial studios. So there was a couple of reasons, but it started with knowing that we had our two little girls. We thought we'd probably have more children at some point. We did. We had two sons, both born uh, at, at Watford uh, in the hospital. Wow, you've been busy. So we kept going, yeah, and uh, that's really the, the background as to how we wound up in hearts. Jeff, listen, we're running out of time. I just want to run something past you. Just have a listen. 
The chances of anything coming from Mars are a million to one, but still they come. Is there any room for me on your new record, please? That role has been cast, unfortunately. Who's got it? Gary Barlow. Oh, Barlow! <laughs> but let's be, be honest, Jeff. If, if I was a little bit better than Gary, wasn't I? Uh, just a little. Yeah. Just a little, when's, yeah. when's the record back out, and when's it, when do you go back on tour with it? Uh, the album comes out November 12th, our first single a week before that, which is uh, one of the other tracks that Gary sings. And uh, our tour starts in Dublin, in fact, at the O2 on November 29th. Then we go all through the UK uh, and uh, on to Europe. Fantastic. Jeff, it's lovely to speak to you. Um, we'll, we'll have to get Jeff in one day, because the, the man is a legend and has some fantastic stories to tell. And that album, it just, just keeps, every couple of years, it just keeps popping up again uh, in a different format, and it's, it, it's a fantastic record. Absolutely fantastic. Jeff Wayne there. Um, I can't believe that Barlow beat me to that part. Curses Barlow. Another reason to put him on my uh, list of nemeses. Ah, this is Ian Lee on BBC... Sorry, I'm a little bit carried away there. I'll calm down now. BBC uh, Three Counties Radio. We've been talking this morning as well about arming the police. It's a mixed bag today, isn't it? We're going all over the place. Um, should the police be armed? John says, the only way to stop all senseless killings is to bring back capital punishment. <sighs> capital punishment doesn't work. It doesn't work. It doesn't stop people committing murders. Look at America. And if you kill one innocent person, you failed. Uh, and Tim says, no, police shouldn't be armed. Simple as that. On FM, AM and online, BBC Three Counties Radio. Uh, it really has been a busy show this morning. Thank you so much for your input. It, it, it makes my life, A, a bit easier. And I think it's just a bit more interesting as well if we get to hear your voice. If it, not just me banging on all the time and my ridiculous views. I want to hear your ridiculous views. No, I want to hear what you think as well. Um, this morning we have been talking about growing old gracefully. Um, after Fiona Bruce has, has come out as saying, yes, I dye my hair. I'm going great, and I love it. I got teased a little bit. Um, but my, he- my, dad's, my dad looks a bit like Barry Cryer, so I'm going to have a complete white head of hair. And I'm, I'm loving it. I can't wait. I want it to go white now. If, I, if my hair went white, I'd look like David Byrne from Talking Heads. Nice strong side parting and white hair. I'm, I'm tempted to dye my hair white just to speed up the process. Uh, 08459-455-555. And the slightly more uh, serious issue this morning, after two police officers uh, were killed in Greater Manchester yesterday, we are asking, should the police be armed? Uh, Anne is in Watford and has got a view on this. Good morning, Anne. Good morning. What's your view? I don't think the police should be armed at all. I think the guy has acted as a terrorist... And I don't understand why he's not being treated as a terrorist. Well, let's, and, and just to stop you there, I don't want to talk specifically about this case, as it's, it's, it's an ongoing case. So if we can be, speak in, in general, gen, generalities, that's the word, isn't it? Yes. Yes. So you, you don't think it's a good idea for the police to be armed? Do you, do you think we should have an armed division of the police? I think we should um, um, have um, these armed division police on call when needed. Right. And I think, because of what's happened, I think, obviously, they should be more aware to be sort of around when, um, you know, like, officers are going to, like, a burglary or something like that, just in case. I was was speaking to an officer earlier on and and, and saying, you know, is there a sense of complacency when police officers go to what appears to be a low-level crime, like a burglary? And I guess you have to have that attitude. You can't expect every incident to be a life-and-death life incident they just first of all you'd go mad with worry and secondly there aren't the resources to sustain that are there 
Yeah, well, what I think is, I don't think the police should be armed at all. Um, um, local police mm. just going to... You can't help it if you're an officer and you, you, someone calls you to their house. It's just natural for you to go to find out what's happening. Yes. But because of what's just happened, I think there should be just, a, obviously, more awareness that if you go into certain areas and that you're called to a burglary, just to have... Um, like an awareness that certain things like what happened recently can happen and that's all but so to arm the police no i think we should as as um you know it's britain i don't think we should go the way of america or anything like that i think we should just basically stay as we are because we're not that sort of country i mean this this hasn't happened like ever i've never heard of this sort of thing happening and i don't think it's something that will just happen start to happen randomly mm. i don't think so i think i really do think it's one of those rare one-offs but i you know like i said you don't want me to go into the reasons why i think this guy you know yeah. w w was doing it but i i think basically until if this sort of thing happens on a let's say start to happen on a regular basis that's different but i think we should stay as we are and thank I you very much well let's, let's hope this doesn't in this case is i mean the police officers do get killed of course this case i think is particularly unique in the fact that it was two uh, uh, female uh, police officers uh, tim is in luton uh, tim what's your take on this uh good morning Ian. um i think um we've got an appropriate balance at the moment we do have armed response units um, in fact, I've um, met some of them, and they're intelligent, well-trained um, men and ladies. Um, I think they should have access to firearms, um, but not to um, be walking around the streets, you know, with a 9mm strapped to the hip. So um, I, th I think Anne, who just spoke, I, I believe that was her name, I think she's a little naive, um, but um, I, I get her take on it. But, um, yes, I, I think it's appropriate that they do have access to respond as appropriate. I have met armed uh, police officers and spoken with them, and th they do take the responsibility of uh, what they're carrying around with them incredibly seriously. And I think, and we'll, we'll, we'll check in a second, but I think you have to volunteer, you know, to be part of the armed response team. And you think that's the right way to go, do you, Tim? I, I, I believe it seems to work at the moment, yes. Without, without doubt. I mean, for example, yeah, we've got um, an armed response unit based at Luton Airport, and quite rightly so, in my opinion. Tim, thank you very much. Tim and Luton. Uh, there's still time if you want to give us a call and have your say on this. 81333. Start your text 3CR or give us a call 08459 555. Well, we've been talking about it, and there has never been a killing like this in the country. Two female police officers uh, responding to a bogus emergency call shot dead moments after leaving their vehicle uh, yesterday. The Prime Minister described the shooting of 23-year-old PC Nicola Hughes and 32-year-old uh, PC Fiona Bone as a despicable act of pure evil. Neil Alston is uh, from the Police Federation in Hertfordshire. Good morning, Neil. Good morning, Ian. Neil, how, how, I'm asking everyone who's coming on this morning to try and put it into words. How did you react when you heard the news yesterday morning? I was shocked, uh, as many of my colleagues are, um, as you've identified, it is still fairly rare. It's a dreadful, dreadful thing to happen and brings home the dangers that police officers face day in, day out. I think what's so um, upsetting about this is that it wasn't... They were, they were on the scene of what was potentially an armed situation. They were called to what I'm guessing police are called to every single day, reports of a burglary in a house. You know, quite a normal thing. Does that not scare you, Neil? Does that put you off being a police officer at all? 
I think, as you've identified, this is extraordinary and very um, we, we can't live your life uh, expecting that every job you go to, go to is going to turn into something like this. Uh, we do have provisions for when we're made aware of uh, firearms being present, but uh, officers uh, get assaulted every day, but fortunately, uh, incidents of this nature are extremely rare. And how, uh, the thing that's interesting me talking to various police officers from around the country this morning is how this won't just affect the police in Greater Manchester. This is actually going to affect the whole police service across the country. Every police officer will feel the pain uh, of their colleagues in GMP um, because this could have happened to any police officer. Uh, there are officers um, going to routine jobs now, this morning, um, and they'll be a little more concerned for their welfare than they were yesterday. This is going to affect everybody for a long time. Uh, we, we've been asking as well this morning, should the police be armed? I'm surprised that most people have called in and said, no, actually, we've got it pretty much right with, with an armed police division, uh, and, and that's good, we don't want to become like America. What do you think, Neil, and what, what do other... What's kind of the, the, the word uh, amongst police at the moment? Do you, the police feel they should be armed, or are they happy the way it is? Uh, the vast majority of my members uh, don't need to be armed. Right. It needs to be a proportionate response to the danger they face. Mm. Um, and, and, and unless things change dramatically, I think we're not far off that. Uh, and am I right in thinking that's become part of the, the, the armed response team, you have to volunteer? Yes, it is indeed a, a voluntary act. So, well, you know, it's, it's, it's a brave thing that they do. And, uh, and the, the, you know, the police sometimes get a hard time, sometimes deservedly so. But it, uh, things like this remind us that you do a cracking job most of the time. Neil, uh, thank you very much for coming on. Thank you, Ian. There we go. Neil Al- Alston from the Police Federation in Hertfordshire. And they do get a, a lot of stick, the police. We heard about this guy in the G20. Of course, the, the horrible stuff um, that, that, that's come out about the police in Hillsborough. But for the most part, for the most part, and this is what you have to remember... Most of the police are, are, are pretty decent people and doing an incredibly brave job. Yeah, there are a few dodgy ones. Of course there are. There are a few dodgy radio presenters. Trust me. I work with some of them on a daily basis. Uh, in, in all forms of life, there are people that don't quite meet the mark. But most of the police, uh, I think they do a cracking job. And nearly all of my dealings with the police, they've been fantastic. Nearly all. I've had a, a couple where she's like, what are you doing? But most of them are great. And... Um, Really sad news. Uh, Neil, thank you very much. Uh, we've got a few texts on this. Ian, don't... Oh, no, Alan, please. Don't arm the police. Bring back the death penalty. We're not doing it. I'm not doing that as a phone-in. Doing, should we bring back the death penalty is up there with should we legalise cannabis and what sweets do you remember from the 70s? We're not doing it. Alan says, since it was abolished, murders have increased more than tenfold. Well, OK, but then you've got to multiply that and divide it by the number, the increase in population. I think it's pretty much, it's grown exponentially. And it doesn't work, Alan. Hey, you know America, they've got the death penalty. They have lots of murders. It just doesn't work. Uh, Sarah in Hearts has uh, texted in. Um, oh, this is good. Jonathan Vernon-Smith, who's on at nine, has uh, told me he's going to take me clay pigeon shooting, which I'm very, very excited about. Very excited. Today I've agreed to go and hang out with some old women, go to a football match with Justin Dealey, and go clay pigeon shooting with Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Sarah in Hearts has texted in and said, uh, I'm going clay pigeon shooting on Tuesday. It'll be my first time. I think it'll be fun, but quite nervous. I'll be quite nervous. I'll let you know how I get on and whether I end up um, being blown on my backside like JVS. It's an unfortunate image, isn't it? <laughs> Thank you, Sarah. Steady. Steady. <laughs> S- 
<laughs> City. Thank you, Sarah. I look forward to um, I look forward to hearing about that. The thing is, I don't like going out and doing things, and I've agreed to all these things that I'm doing. I, I might be going on a ghost hunt as well at some point. I'm very excited about spending the night in a haunted house. Yeah, very excited about that. I do love a bit of ghostly things. I don't, I'm not a believe. I'd like to believe in ghosts. I don't believe in ghosts. But if someone can give me some evidence, I'm totally there. That's what I'm looking for. It's a very quick look at the front page of the newspapers, just because I realised I said I would, and I haven't done it yet. Um, it, it, it's all the same story. You can pretty much guess what it's going to be. Uh, the Guardian, officers lured to their deaths in gun and grenade attack. The grenade is the thing that makes it even, that seem just incredible. I mean, all of it's incredible, but the, the fact that a grenade was used. Uh, and German push for stronger EU. The Daily Telegraph, uh, all using the word lured, lured to their deaths in an act of pure evil. Uh, two unarmed WPCs gunned down in cold blood after going to investigate reports of burglary. And as you read these stories, it suddenly becomes, it, it changes from being too you know, police officers we don't know, you start to find out a little bit about these women and that one of them was getting married and the wedding invitations have been sent out and it starts to become a bit more human. Unarmed police women lured to their deaths, say the Times, um, the Independent... Drugs giants, oh, they've got the police officers, of course, and then drugs giants give up on Alzheimer's cure. Research too difficult and costly, say pharmaceutical companies. Um, the Daily Mail lured into a lethal trap. It was a routine burglary call. Unarmed, two WPCs walked into a hail of bullets and a grenade blast. Oh, it's sad, isn't it? Uh, Slaughter of the Innocents is the Daily Express, and the Sun and uh, the Mirror have got the same, uh, lured to their deaths, both go for the same. Headline there. Very sad indeed. 8.45, Wednesday the 19th of September. These are your headlines this morning on BBC Three Counties Radio. Police in Manchester are questioning a 29-year-old man on suspicion of murdering two unarmed police officers. A 25-year-old student has been found guilty of assaulting a woman in St Albans after subjecting her to a campaign of possessive and obsessive behaviour. In football, England's women take on Croatia at Walsall tonight in their final qualifying match for Euro 2013. And the weather today for beds, hearts and bucks. Dry with decent sunny spells. Top temperature, 15 degrees. Brilliant. Coming up just before nine, our reporter Justin Dealey has been out and about in the three counties to find out your views on growing old gracefully and whether you feel the need to dye your hair. BBC Three Counties Radio. Ah... Now, this is exciting. Uh, leading scientist Professor Robert Winston is going to be visiting Watford Grammar School for Boys this morning. He's opening the first STEM science hub in the country there, and he's on the line to tell us all about it. Good morning, Professor. Good morning. Uh, tell us about the STEM science hub. What is that exactly? Well, basically, what we've done at Imperial College London, which is, as you probably know, London, one of Britain's leading uh, science universities, uh, we've opened some time ago what's called a reach-out lab, which is basically a laboratory for school children of all ages from six upwards to 18 uh, uh, to do practical science every day of the week and to bring classes in all over London and in order to try and spread what we do, what we are um, aiming to do now is to have a number of hubs in different schools where different schools can come into laboratories which are more local and do the sort of, do the sort of work that we're doing. The idea really is to increase science literacy. We from Imperial College go out and help with the teaching, but we have professional teachers as well. And we also, of course, collaborate and cooperate with the teachers in the schools because, of course, they're the experts in school teaching. We're not. We're university academics. 
And the programme actually has been, uh, so far, at Imperial College, inside the college, an amazing success because it allows children to see what the advantages of going to university are. They can go and play with some of our amazing plant. We've got all sorts of exciting equipment which they can use. And it's really to try and design to remove the barrier between school and university eventually. I think that's quite an exciting thing you're talking about because there is a lot of uh, uh, there, there was fear 25 years ago whenever it was when I you know when I was at school about going to university and now of course with things like fees and it, it's it seems more and more people are being turned away from university so this whole project is kind of trying to get young people interested in science and continuing their education that's exactly right and uh, all the evidence shows and basically this really originates from um, a select committee we, ha- we had in the House of Lords which many years ago I chaired which really shows that the thing that really mostly turns children onto science generally is doing practical work yeah. doing, doing work where they can actually make explosions where they can do things which health and safety su- might have suggested are dangerous but actually of course um, what we're able to do is to teach each of the five sciences and by that I include engineering and mathematics and it, it's been a huge success because of course what has happened has it's not only had an impact on the schools it's also had uh, an impact on the teachers who come with them who've changed the teaching that they're doing in some cases and above all and really the thing i'm most proud of is the fact that a number of our undergraduates at imperial college are now thinking of doing teaching uh, as a profession and that's that's quite new for a for a russell group leading you know research university to consider you know to, to send out uh, some of its uh, student body as a graduate into teaching we've now actually for example got a a, te- a teaching with physics degree at imperial uh, you, you're going to Watford Grammar School uh, for boys this morning uh, to open the STEM science hub there. How is that going to benefit the school itself? Well, I think I think basically it'll benefit us too. I mean, don't forget that we are learning by contact from schools. Mm. Um, uh, Watford has got a great reputation. I've actually, uh, many years ago, given seminars there, both at the boys' school and the girls' school. So I, I know it a bit. And I'm delighted that they've taken up this initiative. So they're the first hub that we've created. But we do have other schools as well who are lined up uh, in different parts outside London. It's mm. a bit far to come from Watford to the Reach Out Lab at, West, uh, at, South, Lon- at South Kensington. Yeah. So the more we can do this. Of course, the other thing we're also doing is to encourage other universities to join us in. So eventually we hope to have a network right across the United Kingdom. How will it benefit Watford? Well, I think, you know, having school students meeting really leading scientists, because, of course, the people who are coming in are real experts in the fields that we'll teach, you know, is something which is really quite exciting for them. Um, so I think, I, I think, you know, we learn from contact with them, but I think also they learn with contact with us. I think, listen, I think what you're saying is great, and I, I agree totally that there's nothing better than being a 13-year-old boy or something in a science lab and making smelly things and making things blow up. We had two science teachers at our school. One would do the boring kind of theory and you'd sit there, you'd write stuff, and the other one was like, right, we're going to get the Bunsen burners out today and we're doing this. Uh, Robert, will you be doing any explosions today? Um, well, what I'm... <laughs> I, <laughs> Please! Well, I'm, I, I'm doing a lesson called, uh, what's called States of Matter, which sounds really boring. <laughs> but actually, uh, it's very far from boring. We're going to go down to very low temperatures, down to um, minus 
plus 190, wow. which is pretty damn cold. Yeah. And we'll be going up to above boiling point as well. Um, it's possible there might be one or two very minor bangs. I can't, <laughs> I, I can't exclude that as a possibility. Oh, fantastic. It's a pleasure to talk to you, sir. Best of luck. Thank you very much All for right. coming on. All the very best to you. There we go. That's uh, Professor uh, Robert Winston uh, talking about the new science hub that's going to be opening in Watford Grammar School for boys. There may be explosions. Boys, get ready. There may be explosions in your school today. Fantastic. What's good about talking to him is you get the real passion for his subject, for science. He's really passionate about it and makes it sound exciting. One of my science teachers at school, oh, what a miserable, miserable, horrible man. He was also in charge of the cross-country as well. That's another reason why it wasn't particularly um, <laughs> particularly pleasant. Uh, OK, last few minutes of the show. We have been talking this morning about should the police be armed, and it's um, a, a topic that Jonathan is going to continue in a slightly different vein after 9 o'clock. This is after, of course, the, the terrible story that started emerging yesterday, just before 11 o'clock, of the two female police officers that were killed in Greater Manchester. Uh, we've got David in Hemel on the line. Good morning, David. Good morning, young man. How are you? Uh, listen, you keep calling me a young man, and you can come on as many times as you want. What, what, what's your take on this? Well... Yes, you know, I, well, I, one of my neighbours is actually an armed response policeman. Right, OK. And the stories he tells us in confidence are quite hair-raising. There are people out there with guns, there are various gangs, and there are different types of groups of people that they are known to the police when they go out uh, on a call. Mm. Um, now, we're talking really here about the bobbies on the beat. Um, whilst it's not an issue you want to talk about in debate... I'll talk about the gun thing in a second, yeah. is that I think there should actually be the death sentence for people who kill people in uniform who serve our community, be they... David, the death sentence doesn't work. It doesn't work. Well, it doesn't work in America. And if we kill one innocent we... person, then it's failed. Yeah, but you don't do this. Look, at the, look, these aren't innocent people who've given themselves up for this particular dreadful crime, are they? Well, we're not talking so about, these... I don't want to talk about the, the thing in Manchester, but we have, when we had the death penalty in this country before... Innocent people were killed by the state, so th- that means we, it, it can never work. Well, I'm old enough to remember that, and it does. It, that is true. But why should we? Keep, what's happening at the moment is we're not giving life sentences to these people. Well, they give, life sentences. give life would sentences. Give life sentences. People out? Would we let these people out? No. no. I, I agree. There should be tougher sentences. I don't think it should be the death penalty. But back to guns. Back to guns. Yes. Um, on the continent, French police, Belgian police, Dutch police, German police, the Italian police have always carried pistol sidearms. Yep. You wouldn't get yobs arguing with the police like we see on these TV programmes in the UK. You wouldn't get that if they had sidearm on, because on the continent, people respect the police. You just wouldn't give them any trouble. They wouldn't take the trouble. David, listen, we're going to move on to wrap time. Interesting point. Uh, and I agree with you. I, you know, I, I am old enough to remember when, being a kid, you did respect the police. And you did kind of, you know, you saw, you saw a bobby, you'd, you'd, you'd do what... what was said. I'm not saying clip round the ear or anything like that. We, maybe we need to kind of get our respect back for the police, but arming them? <sighs> respect out of fear? Is that the way we want to go, really? And the death penalty. It does not work. Look at America. They have the death penalty and people get murdered. Moving on. <laughs> Fiona Bruce has uh, admitted to dyeing her hair to cover up the grey. The 48-year-old says going grey is bad for women on TV. But shouldn't we all just grow old gracefully? And would you have a different opinion of Fiona Bruce if she had grey hair? Justin Dealey has been out speaking to ladies in Luton this morning. 
Christine, I can only apologise. The BBC have sent me out before nine o'clock in the morning to ask ladies about their hair dye. Uh, you have dyed your hair a couple of times in the past. Yes. How was that experience for you? Just a lot of work, just keeping up with it. So I decided not to do it anymore. Well, here's Julie. Julie, again, apologies for the personal questions, but you went grey in your late 20s, so quite young for you. Yes, yeah, yeah, it was a bit of a surprise, mm. <laughs> but the worst came when I was in my 30s. It got really grey. So you've been dyeing your hair for quite some time. Yeah. You never thought to yourself, leave the dye out and just go grey? No, never. <laughs> <laughs> no. Is that because you feel a lot more confident? Your hair is blonde, isn't it? So you feel a lot more confident having the hair dye on there? Yeah, definitely, yeah. Mm. yeah. Give me total confidence. Do you think, though, there is too much pressure on women? Because most women I've spoken to this morning that have been grey like yourself have dyed their hair is there too much pressure to look good and look young um possibly there is yeah i mean i think men tend to look quite distinguished and they don't worry so much mm. but yeah women definitely um, feel more conscious about it yeah so it's interesting what you're saying so you think that people might perceive fiona bruce differently if she read the news with gray hair then yeah i think so i would do i, I view women with gray hair differently yeah. really yeah yeah definitely yeah, yeah. <laughs> so if you saw her reading the news at 10 how would you see her differently i'm fascinated by this <laughs> Um, for me personally, I think I'd just be concentrating on it too much. <laughs> just the fact that she's grey, I just yeah, yeah. Very interesting, but honest views. Thank you so much. You're welcome. Thank you, madam. You are grey. We like it. Um, tell us why you haven't dyed your hair. My hair grows so quickly; it's just not worth it. As soon as you put a, hit a tint on, hmm. it just uh, grows out. Well, do you seem pretty happy being grey? Don't you? Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, yeah. It's just not worth it for me now. <laughs> and what about Fiona Bruce on TV, the newsreader? If she was to be grey, she's 48 years old. If you were watching her on TV, she's reading the news and she's got grey hair, would you see her in a different light, maybe? Not really, no. Distinguished. <laughs> I like the wording. Have a good day. Thank you so much. Okay, thank you. Ladies, look at He's such a charmer. He's engaged, so, you know, but he's such a charmer, that Justin Dealey. Isn't he? I've just remembered something. How have we done a whole show talking about older ladies dyeing their hair? And I've not mentioned the blue rinse. Do, do old people still do the blue rinse? My nana used to do the blue rinse. Nanny Jennings. She had like a little... little it's weird, isn't it? <laughs> she had white hair, but sometimes it would be a little bit purple. <laughs> do people still do that? What a strange thing. What a wonderful, uh, strange thing. Well, maybe we'll talk about that uh, 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 another time. Uh, well, listen, it's, it's coming up to the end of the show. I suppose we should do this for the last time for me. I've just been reminded of my lovely Nanny Jennings, who's sadly no longer with us and used to live in Milton Keynes. And she didn't go... It wasn't like a kind of like a deep rinse that she'd have. It was just kind of, you know, a, a sort of hint of blue that was there. It's a very odd thing. Anyway... If you've missed the show this morning, do go and listen again. We've had um, Ian Bolton, the footballer, Jeff Wayne and Professor Robert Winston. Stars. Speaking of stars, it's my clay pigeon shooting partner, Jonathan Vernon-Smith. Getting beds, hearts and bugs talking. This is BBC Three Counties Radio. Yes, thank you, Ian.